Well there, I am Mr. Beat, uh, just another woke teacher. No, no, I'm kidding. Uh, I'm not awake. Uh, but I, I taught uh, social studies for a while in the classroom, 12 years, and I left it. I miss it sometimes, I, you know. Uh, and so part of tonight is going to be like trying to like see how it is still these days because it's been a couple years since I've been in the classroom. And uh, my guest is uh, somebody I've been following for a couple years actually, probably since I left the profession. <laughs> um, her name is Emily Glankler, and she has, uh, well, she's on social media all over the place, but her main uh, platform is the Tickety Talk, or as the kids are calling it, the Gen Z or Gen Alpha TikTok, which I'm on TikTok, by the way. You can follow me, but I don't have near the following as her. She has like over 500,000 followers, and uh high quality posts, um, combination of just historical lessons and, and just ramblings about being a social studies teacher in Texas. <laughs> and so, uh, I'm, I'm very, uh, excited to have Emily from anti-social studies here. So welcome. Hello. I got a live studio audience here. Oh, yes. here. no, I just going? <laughs> yeah, great. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, I think you're the first one I've had on um, that is actually teaching in the classroom still. And so you got your one foot in the world of content yeah. creation and the other still. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's a uh, it's weird. <laughs> it's weird. I'm back to school. I'm back to school. They, my students do like a Jeopardy to welcome new kids. And I was um, a question on the school Jeopardy. And it was about my TikTok account. And it felt really weird. Really <laughs> gross. <laughs> There's a teacher at my old high school, Tonganoxie High School, uh, who also has quite a big following on TikTok. But it's not, I would say it's not as educational as yours. It's more mm -hmm. just like kind of venting about teacher life type stuff. Yeah. Which you, part, part of your stuff is actually, yeah, go ahead and like, um, Tell your story a little bit. Yeah, like, yeah. Who, who are you? I also want to address some really good questions already of why I'm anti-social studies. Oh, and yeah. the answer is that it's a joke and that it's a play on the word anti-social, which I'm also not. I'm very extra. I'm very outgoing. So it's a joke. I'm very pro-social studies. I'm a history teacher of 12 years. Thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I'm in Austin, Texas. I've taught, I grew up here. Um, I'm going into my 12th year teaching. I did for full disclosure, took, I took this last year off from the classroom. I needed a break for some reasons that anyone teaching would understand. But, um, but yeah, I'm going back this next year, back to my same school. And I, uh, I don't know, five years ago, I was really tired of meeting people and telling them I was a history teacher and having them tell me either they hated history in high school or that they wish they'd paid more attention. Those are like the two things people always told me. And so I just made a podcast. I was like, okay, stop asking me questions at parties about history. And I made a podcast just kind of teaching my version of world history, US history. And then that led me down this road. It was meant to just be kind of for my friends to quit asking me to explain, I don't know, whatever. Um, and then it turned into an Instagram, uh, YouTube, and eventually a TikTok. My students forced me to do it. And of course they were right. So yeah, <laughs> that's me. Yeah. Well, I love your kind of big, um, 
I guess it's your slogan that's on your website um, kind of sums up everything because most of the world's problems could be solved if everyone paid more attention in social studies class. I just love that. You agree, right? Yeah. I mean, like so many things you're just like, especially when I see it, because I have a lot of former students that I stay in touch with on, on mostly like Facebook and Instagram. And uh, I'll see them like post something and I'm just like, Oh, you don't remember our lesson, do you? <laughs> you yeah. weren't paying attention that day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, I mean, a lot of, I know, obviously, a lot of older people, they're like, oh, man, I love history now. I wish I liked it when I was younger. And I'm just yeah, like, totally. no, you always liked history. You, you like, anytime you talk about your past, it's, it's history. Mm -hmm. So, like, if you tell me, like, that's what I always do. Like, say, hey, tell me uh, what you did last night. Oh, man, we went out to this party and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, Cool. Thanks for sharing your history with me. You know, yeah. especially if they become important one day, that might be a really important moment in their <laughs> biography. Who knows? I don't exactly. know. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Uh, oh, thanks for the super chat there, Mad Dog of Pittsburgh. Then that's quite a username and PFP. Thank you so much, uh, Virginia Tech. Okay. Uh, what school did I go to? Oh, I went to the University of Kansas, University of Nebraska, Omaha, and uh, Emporia State. I'm overeducated, and I still have student loan debt because of that. Yep. What about you, Emily? Where'd you go to college? I went to the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and oh. then I did my grad school at Texas State down in San Marcos. Oh, yeah, San Marcos. That's a great little city. I've never been there, but I hear, I hear good things. It's great. Sorry about North Carolina, though, because obviously Kansas and North Carolina, big rivals in basketball. And a couple of years ago, we kind of beat them in yeah. the championship. Yeah, yeah. And you like you took one of our coaches, I think, and then we took a coach back. I don't know. I honestly am a really <laughs> terrible Tar Heels fan. I was really into it when I was there in college, but I grew up in Austin and I'm not a UT, a Texas fan. So I'm just sort of like I'm a casual observer. I just find it all very entertaining. So you were just sick of it. You had to get away from it, right? I just, yeah, I didn't grow up being a UT Austin fan. My Neither my parents went there. And so I was like, whatever. But then I when I went to UNC, it was fun. I like got all into it. I like painted my face. But then when I left and moved back to Austin, it was like, well, that was fun. But I don't I don't get upset about it now if UNC loses or something. Oh, yeah, that's that's healthy. That's <laughs> it healthy. is, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> anyway, well. Yeah, I guess we can just jump right into it. Uh, for those who have never heard this or watched this, uh, for those of you, wa uh, you watching right now, I see you. I see you in the chat. Um, we have come up with 10 questions for each other, and we don't know the uh, the questions ahead of time. So th these are, will be a surprise. I'm hoping there's nothing that's too shocking and like, oh, how dare you ask me that? But um, also they're open-ended questions. And so that, you know, the idea is that we it turns into a great conversation. So, uh, and then... We'll also take your questions if we have time or if we can squeeze those in. But um, just know that, you know, priority is our questions for each other. Um, and so, yeah, we'll just uh, we'll jump right into it. Uh, as Philip DeFranco says, uh, my first one is probably pretty easy. And I'm sure you've answered this plenty of times before. Um, but what got you into history? Mm, Kathy Cluck. And she is still teaching. You can go find her on Instagram. She was my AP US history teacher. Um, but I had a few amazing high school history teachers that I realize now I'm really lucky because I most people I talked to didn't have that experience. I had like all four years. Every one of them was a really passionate woman who loved history. 
Um, but I still just thought it was fun. I just, I liked it. And then when I went to college, I think I wanted to do something. I love travel. I loved learning about other cultures. So I did like an international studies, one of those kind of like, you just take a bunch of different classes, degrees. And it wasn't until I was a campus tour guide at UNC Chapel Hill, which you can totally see. I'm like the type that's walking backwards and pointing <laughs> and stuff. But I was a tour guide, which in some schools is really nerdy. And in some schools is very like a big deal. And I will say in UNC, it was kind of, it was cool. It was a big deal. And my mom asked me, cause you didn't get paid. She was like, why are you doing this? And I literally told her, I was like, like, I really like having like a captive audience and then being able to just tell them stories. You have to listen <laughs> to my stories. About the school. And my mom who had on and off been like, I think you'd like teaching. And I'd always said, no. She's like one more time was like, Emily, that's kind of what teachers do. And so mm -hmm. I begrudgingly added a second major in history thinking, okay, if I'm not sure what to do, then I'll have that. And I'm really glad that I did. I, I tried to get into, I got into like the nonprofit world. I got into other, and I just like, couldn't be in a desk. I couldn't be in an office. And the second that I started teaching, I was just like, yes, this is the thing I was supposed to do. Yeah. It's so funny that your mom was the one who kind of encouraged you because my mom was also the one who encouraged me. Mm. Shout out to her moms. Uh, like I, well, teaching was not a first career for me. Mm -hmm. uh, my first career was broadcast journalism. And my senior year of high school, my mom was like, I really think you'd like being a social studies teacher. You know, you really should go for this. And I just resisted. I said, mom, I, I hate high school. Like I hated high me school. Too. Yeah. So like, I'm not going back. What are you talking about? Exactly. Maybe that's why at first you're just like, huh? Mm -hmm. It's like uh, we maybe if you have bad experiences. But then, yeah, like I was about 20, I think 25, 26 when I realized, oh, yeah, she was right. <laughs> and so I went back to, to school to get a second degree in education. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. Did you have to do that to teach where you are? Because in Texas, we were so we needed teachers so badly that you didn't have that was part of the thing. Part of the thing that helped me out is that I was like, oh, I don't want to have to go back and get a whole other degree in education. I have a degree in history. And at that moment, um, it was right in the middle of like 2008, 2009. It was like a big collapse of you know schools and teaching and stuff. So they just said, if you have a degree, you could go get like this alternate certification, which is sketchy, but it worked out in my favor. Like it, it made it to where it was so much easier for me to get into the classroom quickly, which was amazing. Uh I, it's funny because we, we went back, we went for education at the same time. It looks like, cause yeah, like I, uh, it was around that time when I was like looking at, do I really have to do this? I was living in Nebraska mm. and, uh, yeah, up in Nebraska and down in Kansas, both you had to, and then like a whole degree. I, did, I actually did hear about Texas. Like, Oh, in Texas, I hear you don't even need a degree. And come on over. Yeah. <laughs> before I even went back to school, cause I was like, yeah, this is a lot of money. I was like, well, what about teach for America? Mm -hmm. And so I applied for Teach for America. I didn't get in, but mm -hmm. I heard all these horrible things about it later. So I'm just kind of glad I didn't get in. But yeah, uh, yeah no, it's it, it is frustrating that I had to, you know, dish out all the money. But at the same time, I took a lot of cool history courses up in Om at University of Nebraska Omaha, where I went uh, for that. So I don't know. It's nice. it worked out, I guess. <laughs> I. I have a related, one of my questions is related to this. Heck yeah. Can I just ask you this one? Okay. Yep, yep, yep. If you went back to high school, no, but you know what you know now, like you're transported back to you in high school, but you have the wisdom you have now. Like Drew Barrymore and never been kissed. Exactly. <laughs> exactly like Drew Barrymore and never been kissed. What's one thing you would do or one thing you would do differently? 
Uh, so like, assuming I'm like, I fit in, they don't know that I have the wisdom. Yeah, yeah. it's not creepy. It's not creepy. <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're like, you are, you know, 16 year old you, but you just maybe have seen the future and you like, you know, the stuff that you know now about life. Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. I, I would probably try to be nicer. <laughs> I mean, I was not somebody, somebody who got in trouble, uh, in high school, like, I was a quote unquote good kid, but at the same time, I think, I think back on, you know, like just certain things that I did, certain attitudes I had mm -hmm. sometimes about stuff that it was just really, Oh, pretty cringe now. Like I was, yeah. I mean, I, I should have been more sensitive to different people and I should have went out of my way to be kinder. And mm. That's the thing about like having kids too. Uh, like after I had a couple kids, yeah. um, my ego really shrank a lot, and yeah. I was like, "Oh, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a jerk." <laughs> so like, like everyone uh, is someone's child. Oh no. Yeah, like you, you're just and, and no offense to the youngins. Like we got a lot of youngins watching right now, uh, listening. I, I think most younger people struggle with this, where they're you know they the whole world revolves around them, and they're just like me, 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 me. You, you mm -hmm. serve me. I don't serve you. And I, I was, I was totally that. And that's like, by to be clear, like that's how we're built to do. That's not even like a diss on younger people. It's just like biologically, like your world is yourself, <laughs> right? It's not till your twenties for most people that you start to be able to make those connections and go like, Oh, interesting. That person over there knows nothing about me. And, and they don't care. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a, it took me a while to realize that I was like, um, most people are not thinking about you right now. Most people couldn't care because like, they're fo so focused on what, what's yeah. going on in their life. Yeah. But when we're younger, we just think like, oh, yeah, like every, like when you're walking down the hall in high school, you think everyone's looking Ooh. at you mm -hmm. and they're not. They don't mm -hmm. care. <laughs> yeah, that would be my that was kind of my answers. I would just care a lot less about certain things. Um. Like I would just relax. I was really, really type A stressed, wanted to get all A's. Um, wanted to like do do the right thing, do you know, do all the things I was supposed to do, and that was, that served me well. I got into a great college, right? Like, I'm partly grateful for that, but I also wish I would have just chilled out a little more and like it's <laughs> gonna be fine. I'm, you're gonna enjoy. This is like the freest you'll ever be. Like, it feels super stressful right now, but like, yeah, I would just I would probably go to a few more parties and just relax a little more. <laughs> The first real party I went to was like my senior party after we graduated. And it was, I was like, there was like, they were, everyone was so surprised to see me. Like, I was like, have y'all been doing this this whole time? Yes. Because I, I was, I had no life, I social life. I, I mean, you know, I had friends, but it, we're, you weren't parting it up. Me neither. Right. Which is probably good. <laughs> That's probably why we're here and why we're really smart teachers now, but still. Yeah. <laughs> That's why we're alive. We didn't have any incidents. <laughs> Uh, all right. Let me see if any, another question is related to that. Mm -hmm. um, oh, nope, not at all. So I'll just, go, <laughs> I'll just go to the second. Um, so this is related to just your all your experiences um, teaching. Um, what is your crazy? I'm going to leave this op very open ended on purpose. Okay. Uh, what is your craziest teacher story? Hmm. Okay. My brain went to one that I, that might, might not be great for like an internet comment section. Uh, but let me think about my crazy. 
okay, I guess I'll say it. And I, hmm. <laughs> you can censor yourself if needed. It's a. I'll just I'll think about something else. But I had a parent early on in my career who denied very significant things that have happened in history um, in the 20th century and wanted a meeting with me to like discuss it. And I was like 22 and it was very stressful and overwhelming and I held my ground and I'm sort of amazed that I that I did. So there was that one was very real, but I don't really want to get into the details of that on like the internet. But <laughs> my craziest teacher story, I guess, is just I don't know. I think for me, it's been recently, I live in the community where I teach. I'm really fortunate that like I'm in my neighborhood where my students are, which I actually love, but I get why some people don't. And to me, it's been wild how much of like a network I've unknowingly built as a teacher. Like I just this summer, my kid was going and doing a little soccer camp class. And all of a sudden I saw this guy that was coaching him and he was amazing. I was like, who is this kid? He's so good. He was in his mid twenties. And he came up to me and was like, Coach Glankler. And I had coached him in tennis. And he just, he'd grown by like a foot and I didn't recognize him anymore. And like, I went to get my COVID booster and it was a student giving me the shot. And like, I run into students all the time. It just, and it, I really started to feel for the first time, like, oh, wow, there's this whole network of people that are full grown adults now that I've had a small part in. And it's just really, it just kind of shocks me every time that they remember me, that I remember them. I don't know. I don't know if that's crazy, but that's just been my like big moment, especially in the last year. Um, Cause I have students now that I taught cause I was so young when I started, I have students now I'm 35 and I have kids that are 33 who I taught as like a senior Whoa. in high school. I was like 22 and they were seniors. So I guess they'd be like 32 or something. And it, they're like realtors and stuff. And it's just wild. And they probably feel, some of them probably feel older than you. Yeah, it's weird because they're now in like real people jobs. You know, I'm still like going to high school every day and they're like have beards and are selling homes and stuff. It keeps you young. It really does keep you younger. It does. It's really funny. Yeah. Because I, I, people my age, I'm just like, who is this old man next to me? I'm like, oh, you're you're younger than me. Oh, like I don't know. I don't know if that's just a teacher thing or like a YouTube thing or I just feel like I'm out of my element with my peers, like people my age. Um, yeah. We're like the translators. I, I am like the translator for younger generations for all my friends. They're like, I watched this show and they said this thing. What did it mean? And I'm like, I'll tell you all about it. It's kind of amazing. What's Discord? <laughs> like, yeah, okay, well, I'll tell you. All. Yeah. You and you told, you just kind of briefly mentioned you coach tennis. Mm -hmm. I coach tennis too. No way. Yeah, small world, huh? I was uh, a, I was a, that was this, what I did growing up. I was a really, really competitive tennis player. Um, and that's I actually like, I met my husband abroad. We were on this like touring team that went to the UK and played in the UK for a summer. Like, wow. that was, like my whole life growing up was playing tennis. And so, yeah, and I don't, I don't anymore. I play, I play pickleball now cause I'm oh. old, but. Hey, that's yeah. pickleball's great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's so cool though. I, I try to still play tennis. I'm, uh, yeah, that's, it's a weird coincidence. Although I was not that good growing up, like. I, uh, are, in fact, they almost like got rid of our tennis team in high school. Uh, and I had to like go to the school board and like beg oh. them to save the, the <gasps> tennis team. <laughs> you saved your school's tennis team. Uh, kind of. Yeah. It was one of those, actually a, an important moment in my life. Cause I, I, I went to Walmart and I got all these signatures and I, and I took them and 
um, like I wrote this speech though. And I, I'm kind of mad. I wrote this speech and I was really nervous. I was like, I can't, I can't do it. And so my, my friend, Josh, shout out to my best friend from my youth, Josh. Uh, he, he's like, I'll read it for you. And he did such a good job. But it's so funny. I ended up freaking being a teacher and I couldn't even like read this speech from the paper. I was shaking yeah. so bad and he felt so bad for me. He's like, I'll read it for you, bud. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's really funny. I hated public speaking like in, in high school. And so I hated it. And now it's yeah. weirdly one of my favorite. Like I perform improv comedy and like make YouTube videos. And it's like no one in high school probably would have assumed that that was that I was like the same person. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, what kind of got me out of it was... um performing with my band um that got me you know you you quickly get over stage fright when you mm -hmm. just have to get up and play music in front of a, a drunk hostile crowd I'm, I'm with improv too i'm sure a lot improv of people, is even worse because yeah. it's like no one wants to be there everyone's got dragged there by a friend who's in the show and it's just like <laughs> it's the it's it was actually the thing that cured me of my like perfectionism yeah I, you would just go and bomb but like it's it was fun and i was like whatever but yeah it's it's great therapy improv. You just like get over a lot of, a lot of your like people pleasing tendencies real fast. Cause no one wants to be there. And they watch. all forget. You think they're going to remember. And then they like, forget. You don't yeah, even remember like, what you did. It's like, it's all fine. You know, I forgot the words to one of my songs one time and it was like, it kind of, we kind of just stopped playing it. And then people, you could, at the time I was like so embarrassed, but then, yeah, like I bet you not one other person other than me remembers that. My brother who plays, played drums with me. I bet you he does not remember that. <laughs> you think about it once a week, probably. Uh, occasionally. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, actually not really that much at all. Yeah, that's the thing. It's just like I'm not embarrassed anymore. Mm -hmm. It's kind of <laughs> really freeing. Okay, I have a related question then. If you're in a band, oh. wh what do you do in the band? Um. Well, growing up, my main instrument was uh, piano. I took like eight years of piano lessons. Mm. So, so keys were like, actually, you can probably see it behind me, my keyboard. Yeah. Uh, where's it at? Oh, there. there. There do you is. sing too? Oh yeah. Um, I do sing. <laughs> I, I'm not, not a very good singer, but yeah, those, uh, and then I do, I pretty much record everything myself. Um, most of the time, like I play guitar. Mm -hmm. Um, I even still bust out my trumpet every once in a while. Cool. Um, and so all of my president songs, if you listen to the recordings, um, that's just me, like that's all, all, you. all the instruments. Yeah. And so, um, my brother helps me out from time to time, but he plays drums, which, you know, his last name is Beat as well. So Perfect. it makes sense that he was a drummer. Yeah, right. Uh, but uh, I should have been a rapper. Uh, <laughs> although I do rap sometimes, like my George W. Bush song. Uh, but yeah, no, like it's a, something I've done since I was a kid as well. Like I used to, my parents had a karaoke machine and uh, with a cassette deck. De this is what my question's about. I'm so excited about this. Oh, well, finish your question. Well, yeah. my question is, how do you feel about karaoke? Oh, my God. And I'll preface it by, I love karaoke. So I'm just curious. Yeah. Yes. I, I can never find someone to go with me to go karaoke. <laughs> yeah. So I need to just go to Austin. and Yes. Come to Austin. Love that place anyway. Um, yeah. No. Karaoke is uh, my favorite song to do karaoke. Sure. It's, it's the end of the world as we know it. And I feel fine by R.E.M. That's a great one. <laughs> Mine is What's Up by Four Non Blondes. Oh, my gosh. They like it get, everyone gets into it. They wave back and forth. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had a friend uh, from another childhood friend. Shout out to Zach. Uh, one of his favorite songs was uh, I Touch Myself by Divinals, the Australian band. Have you ever heard that song? I Touch Myself. It's <laughs> inappropriate. It's not appropriate. Yes. 
Uh, it was like on the radio. It's fine. Yeah. He wanted me to do that song so bad. And I'm like, no. And <laughs> I think he ended up doing it. Uh, but no, that's like, it has to be a song though. Like, you know, you can't just be, the other thing too is like, you has to be, you can't be like a white guy like me going up and, and there and doing Dr. Dre. Like, no. so there, there are certain rules for karaoke, you know? <laughs> I agree 100%. I, what, one of my things I do is I um, will often give seniors one thing. The one thing that we do at our school is you get to write a letter for a senior. You give it to them at prom and it's like you pick a kid that you had a real connection with. And I always include my rules for adulting. And one of them includes my rules for picking the right karaoke song. Oh, wow. And I'm very, yeah, it's like one, you have to kind of practice. You want to practice it. Like you might, I might be singing along to Taylor Swift and think I can hit those notes. And the second she's not singing with me, I'm like, this is not good. <laughs> but I agree. I also think that you got to think about the crowd. Like, what does the crowd want to hear? I think a lot of people get up and sing a song they like, and it's like a five minute ballad and everyone's like, okay. But yeah, you got like, it's the end of the world is a great choice because everyone would love to like sing along to that and make everyone happy. Great. Try to sing along. And that, Very I, good you know, job. I yeah. always butcher it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, awesome. I just saw your super chat exploring history. Subscribe to his channel. It's wonderful. And yes, we are moving. And in fact, I this is kind of a, a I don't know if you, you're one of those people who say an historic, but I say a historic, a historic day because this is the last time I'm going to film a, a live stream uh, probably in this studio. Unless I do, I guess I could do one, one more on for Twitch. But I, yeah, it's it's kind of sad. I've been in this studio for like four years. Oh wow, who said? Anyway. <laughs> do you say an historic or a historic? Do you mean like a space, like a historic yeah. day? Yeah. Oh, always a an historic. That's not. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Sounds weird. Yeah. These an historic people drive me nuts. I tell you, I don't want to be all tribal, but come on. I get it in writing. I feel like if <laughs> I were writing it, I would do a n. But if I was then reading it, I would just say a. That doesn't make any sense. But. It just sounds weird. And but I guess because the silent H is like a vowel. You're supposed to. Yeah. You're supposed. We're we're wrong, but it's fine. Tyler says and historic. I'm sorry. I still love you, Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my turn. Uh, so, um, well, this is a little bit heavier of a question. Um, so. Obviously, the last week I went on a stream recently with um, the cynical historian about this, and this is why this has kind of been on my mind. Um, but what are your thoughts about all of this so-called anti-woke legislation that's mm -hmm. affecting what's being taught in history classes, like especially Florida, but also other states? Texas, that's where I teach. What kind of law did they pass there? Oh, we've had them all. That's the thing. There's not news about it because we've just had them forever. We, we we passed one pretty recently that that was specifically aimed at like the 1619 project specifically, but then it, which is its own thing and we can discuss, but like um, they specifically said something along the lines of like teachers can't can't do anything that makes a student feel uncomfortable because of their race, which I don't want to make anyone feel uncomfortable because of their race, but the way it was worded was so vague and so weird that teachers were just freaked out. They're like, what does that mean? Like, I can't control how a student feels. So we have a lot of those on the books too. Um, yeah, I mean, my name, anti-social studies, is it, it's kind of a it's satire. It wasn't meant to be a joke at that, at people being like anti 
teaching honest history. It was just meant to be like antisocial and social studies. And that's right. funny, but it's taken on a bigger meaning. I mean, I'm very much for teaching history as fully and openly and honestly as possible. Um, I still think like you, you don't go in as a history teacher thinking my goal, like I teach you as history. My goal is not to get my kids to vote a certain way or to feel a certain way about the country or a person, but I do want to make sure that we learn all of it. I, I don't, so I don't shy away from talking about some of the more uncomfortable topics. And one of the reasons why I got on TikTok is because of all these new laws. So I teach at a really um, wonderful private school that's super supportive and they they support like we have a whole class that I teach called discussion skills and the whole thing is like the whole junior class just learns like let's have tough discussions together and like let's really get into it I and learn that. how to do that so they're like really into this kind of stuff and I a few years ago realized that a lot of teachers I was working with and mentoring that are in the public schools are like, I don't know if I can do a lesson on this topic in Black history anymore. I, I'm worried about parents complaining and not understanding why we're talking about, you know, Memphis or Tulsa or something. And I just started to realize that a lot of students weren't going to be taught some of those things, partly because teachers are just nervous, right? And so one of the reasons I made my TikTok was because I was like, well, I can. I, I'm not worried about my boss finding a TikTok and firing me because I talk about rough things in American history. And so essentially I'm like, great, send your kids to me on TikTok if you're worried, right? Like that they're not going to be learning about some of the stuff that we need to learn about the bad things we've done in the past. In addition to a lot of wonderful things we've done as a country, right? I think, mm -hmm. I think a lot of people think that when I say I bring in Memphis and the Tulsa race massacre, and I talk about indigenous people and I think people think I mean instead of like, I don't also talk about Lincoln and George Washington and the War of 1812. And it's like, no, no, I, I do it. You can't teach US history without talking about that stuff. So I'm very much for like teaching openly and honestly, but I totally understand why a lot of teachers and I, I do understand why a lot of parents it's just a tricky thing right now. It's really tricky when you're not in the classroom with the kids, things get translated weird. Like I know it, even as a parent, my kid just um, finished kindergarten and like, it's wild to me how little I know about what he's doing all day. Yeah. So I understand like that fear from parents of like, what are they teaching my kid and what are they talking about? Um, but I tend to trust m most teachers. There are some bad ones out there, but. There was, okay. a, there was a teacher at my school that used to teach Noah's Ark, the store in a public school. This is before yeah. I got there, but the, uh, some of these younger siblings told, yeah, my, my older brother had him and he used to teach about Noah's Ark. And so I was like, he did that for years. In and a Noah's history Ark. class or in like a- an American history class. Uh, oh, American history. Yeah. That's what I, I was like, I, okay, world history? I, we can talk about the floods. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, wow. And apparently no one cared. And then uh, once we start teaching, uh, well, there's there's even like some triggered people in the comments here, like 1619 Project is honest history. Like, actually, there are problems with 1619. I was say, I didn't even say that. I said, like, we can discuss that later. Right. Like, yeah. but I do. I just think the topics they bring up. I'm like, yeah, I we, we should kids should learn about. I don't know, reconstruction era and the like lack of healthcare for freed formerly enslaved people. And like by talking yeah. about that doesn't mean I'm saying 
America's awful and we should just cease to exist as a country. I'm just like, it's it's just a thing that happened. I'm with you. I think um, 1619 Project is a really fascinating work of journalism, which yeah. is different than, than a work of academic history. Those are two different things. So if I, when I talk about it with my kids, I talk about it as that discussion. I have them look at like part of the 1619 Project, part of the 1776 project or whatever oh, yeah. I can look at debates around it all and we just just that's my thing is like if I'm going to bring in something controversial to the class I'm not teaching it as fact I'm like let's discuss the controversy let's figure out what people are saying about it and I think that's what we need to help kids do you know that's wonderful yeah the more the merrier I was just like okay they want they want to us to include that information let's bring it all in we have access instantly to the whole internet why would we yeah, like the worst thing they're gonna they're gonna read about stuff anyway. They're gonna find a TikTok about something. At least help them process and then come to their own conclusion. Like I taught for a long time an elective called Contemporary Issues, and the whole course was like, let's talk about what people are talking about. It was oh, a year long daily course, and it was like a it was boot camp for me and how to just like sit and talk with a bunch of teenagers about sometimes really controversial topics. And be like, you walk out of this class and decide whatever you want. I just want to make sure you have all the information before you do. And then, like, my job is done. Yeah, that's, I think that's pretty much every social studies teacher, though. I mean, I think I, so. we're just, we, we focus more on the skills and, um, you know, because yeah. we, most of the content, they're not going to remember anyway. Nope. <laughs> so, nope. um, yeah, uh, thinking like a historian, which translates to thinking like, it's just critical thinking in general. It's critical thinking and empathy. That's what thinking yeah. like a historian is, is like, oh, people are people and they do things for a lot of weird reasons. Yeah. And the more they can access, the more, yeah, the empathy part of it, because a mm -hmm. lot of it's just like rooted in uh, ignorance. Like they, they've never even left their county, you know, <laughs> and they're yeah. like, like I, I, I'll never forget, like hearing some of my students in a rural school talk about like, inner city kansas city stuff like they had all these misconceptions i'm like that's 20 miles away you ever have you ever been down there yeah <laughs> they just have all these assumptions and yeah that would be something that should be mandatory if i was in charge it's like you have to just like get out of your neighborhood get out of your community yeah. even like funding for studying abroad like you have to mm -hmm. we'll, we'll pay your way like there'll be a grant for you to go you you have to like go out of the country and yeah for a a month even just like mm -hmm. say, hey there <laughs> i gave my kids in that contemporary issues class i would give them extra credit um or i would give them like extension things and it would be a list of like there's this film screening over here there's this event and they could just pick from a bunch of them of things to do to for kind of like yeah like experiencing what's going on in the world and one of them was literally just like ride the city bus downtown and back it was like with your parents' permission, but they were 17 and 18. I was like, get on the city bus, ride it downtown, ride it back. Because like most, a lot of them, it was a very relatively wealthy school. Austin's still a really weirdly segregated city. And they were like, they'd never ridden the city bus and they'd never been on public transportation. And it was just, even that was like eye-opening for a lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, which is wild. So. No, I, uh, yeah. Okay. I have a, I have a question. Your turn, right? Okay. Is it my turn? It is your turn. Yep. Okay. Um, I don't, this is not related, but this is someone on Instagram asked me to ask you this, and I think it's a great question. So okay. <laughs> there's a big debate going on, especially there was on TikTok for a while, about what color are the four core academic subjects? So like 
you get your folders for the year and you're like, math is has got to be the red folder or whatever. Like, you know what I mean? Or like, oh, history is definitely orange. What colors do you associate with the four core subjects? I've never heard of this before. Okay, there people are fighting about it <laughs> on TikTok of like, like to me, math is blue. Like if math is anything other than blue, I'm like, no, <laughs> doesn't make any sense. Weird. I, <laughs> I've never thought about this in my entire you don't life. Think about it. So like you would just pick a random folder. You wouldn't think about the color. Uh, well, I never had to do this. Like growing up, I, you know, we had, uh, I had notebooks, I guess. Yeah. Like, but you know, like the kind of like, kind of like this actually. Yeah. Um, but I didn't never know. I never see. Considered. Go check the chat. People are people have strong feelings oh, about this. Okay. Okay. I agree with Luke. I actually one hundred percent agree with Luke. Math oh, is red. He's from Texas. Oh really? Oh great. Okay, I agree. Math is red. Green is science because like Earth, you know. Social studies is yellow for some reason, and English language arts is blue. Like that's in my head. If I put my English stuff in an orange folder, it would like bother me. Well, we're getting mixed opinions here. I know. I'm going to make some I, people mad. I do like red for social studies. So mm -hmm. shout out to ZJ13Goat, who does follow me on Twitch. They're, they're with me on Twitch, so special attention there. Um, green screen seems to be a pretty... Yeah, science is green also seems uh, like that makes sense. But yeah. I don't know. Like, I just don't have strong op op opinions about this. So maybe I need to think about it more. I um your brain must be so calm it must be so quiet in there <laughs> yeah no this is a oh yeah well the reason why i think red i think stands out for social studies is just because like for me it's always like alert like the world is on fire like kind of like you know the billy joel song we didn't start the fire because uh, yeah. like, i'm always thinking like so much uh of the fires that are going on right now, figuratively, but also sometimes literally, um, could be solved if we just learned the lessons of the past. And, oh. uh, but I, yeah, like, what's the logic of purple or blue for language arts? I don't know. Like, so there's a thing, someone put it in the chat called synesthesia. And there uh, is a thing where people like, and some people have it a lot, and some people have it a tiny bit, and some people have it none, where like colors mean things. Like, I had a student who would hear colors, they were a musician. And they would notate their music, but they would hear it as color. It was fascinating. I don't have to that level. I just, but but I think there's a lot of people that, yeah, they have a really strong answer. And I'm fascinated that you haven't thought about it at all. I'm so happy for you. That must be so. What's wrong with me? I don't well, know. It must be so relaxing and nice. You just go with the flow. It's great. Well, do you get goosebumps when you listen to certain music? Yeah. Okay. A lot of people don't. In oh. fact, most people don't. Uh, so that's something I found out about. I was like, yeah, like, uh, I just thought it was normal. So yeah. <laughs> my whole life, and like, until I was an adult. Yeah, wow, weird. I did too. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> uh, anyway, okay, well, yeah, the, you, I did not anticipate that question. <laughs> um, okay, so, the, the, brah, thank you for the super chat, says, what color is lunch class? <laughs> Ooh. Well, you wouldn't have a folder for lunch. It'd be like rainbow. It'd be like Lisa Frank rainbow with the dolphin on it. It'd be all the things. 
That makes sense. That's the for, yeah, because well, it's a healthy, balanced uh, lunch. Is sure. all the food colors. You don't want to just eat yellow foods like I do, mac mac and cheese and pizza. <laughs> uh, and this person says, "Thank you for the super chat as well." Uh, History is blue, math is red, science is green, English is yellow slash orange. Um, I the, at least consistently, everyone seems to be saying science is green. So at least yeah. we've established that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then Andrew, good to see you, Andrew. Thanks for that. What are your biggest worries for the future? Well, as it turns out, I have a related question to that. Oh, great. Okay. So I'll just ask you and then maybe we can both answer it. Um, but I had, a. Uh... <laughs> well, that's kind of related. Uh, what's the quickest way to world peace? <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> Got it. I've been waiting for someone to ask me this. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> The quickest way to world peace. I mean, okay, this is going to sound, I don't know. My initial answer is like, put social studies people, put people in the humanities, elevate their position in society, make it to where like, we're not just valuing people who are like smart at a specific task, but who are also like people smart. So I, I really wish that like, I feel like the humanities are seen as kind of soft, right? And it's like the world of business, the world of law, the world of engineering and science is seen as like real world, whatever. And I, that's super useful. But I, I feel like if we all in our different countries actively promoted, like let's put, you know, people who are teachers and nurses and, um, you know, stay at home parents and people with English degrees and philosophy degrees alongside these other experts in positions of power that to me is maybe not the quickest but it would definitely i think it would it would help get us there yeah i mean I don't know. you're a little biased but yeah <laughs> i am biased but i do think it's true i think i think that especially like even when you talk about traveling i think like people being well traveled i think if like to be in charge of a country you have to like have done certain a number of like the kind of minimum wage jobs that are, are done in your country. Like having a full understanding of like what people, what people are experiencing to me seems like the right step. Yeah. There's so many people that um in power that kind of are on that pipeline from like yeah private school, prep school. Uh, they grew up on the country club. Then they go to Harvard and then they all of a sudden they're in DC and then and like I, career I, politician, career, whatever. Yeah. And that's fine. But I love that we're seeing like teachers running for office. I love that we're seeing, again, just people that are coming from other careers and other jobs to kind of serve. And I feel like if we, that's what it used to be, right? It was supposed to be like, you serve as part of your community, but you have your regular job and then you're kind of the representative for the people. And then you go back to your community. And I think if we promoted that more everywhere, I don't yeah. know. What's your answer? How would you make world peace? Oh, I really like that. I, well, I have, I did have a different answer, but. Um, did you go literal? I was also like no nukes, like get rid of all the nukes <laughs> in one snap, but. I don't well, know. there's, I don't know if that's even possible now. There's some that, out there that are unaccounted for. That's true. Which is kind of scary. Uh, but no, I mean, you kind of really touched on something good there because. Um, and then, yeah, related to that, you know, we could say, oh, term limits. Uh but yeah, so many of um, the people in power are lawyers. They were formerly lawyers. Mm -hmm. or, and then they like, I, rem I remember, um, I'm just thinking of it because like it was got a lot of uh, media coverage, but um, 
Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She used to be a bartender. She's an economics major bar who was working as a bartender. Yeah. yeah. And I remember that that was like a lot of critics were saying, oh, you're just a bartender. And I was like, no, we need more just regular folks in there. Yeah. I mean, do bartenders not deserve representation in Congress? You know, do teachers yeah. not? I mean, that was supposed to be the whole point is I think having more of a true cross section of not just, you know, men and women and that sort of thing, which is important, but also, yeah, just like, it's, it's just weird now that when you look at, if you look at Congress and you look at how many of them went to law school, it's like, that's great, but that's just like a very specific experience. And then when you kind of think about that, a lot of these world leaders get together and they all are kind of coming from their own versions of a similar experience. It's like, <laughs> that's why I think um, uh, Zelensky, the Ukrainian president who yeah. was a comedian, he was like Jon Stewart. And he, I mean, and that could have been a disaster, but he seems to really understand what the people need in Ukraine right now. Like he knows how to speak to them. He knows how to rally them because he's part of them. And I think that's really fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Just, I mean, the average net worth of somebody in Congress is over a million dollars now. Uh, so especially the class. Yeah. 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 And they get wealthier once they're in there. And then the, the fact that, yeah, the lawyer thing. It, I mean, the earliest uh, representatives. Uh, I, I remember looking this up one time. I was like, "Oh, what are they, what were their careers?" And yeah, a lot of them were lawyers, but a, a lot of them were also like farm. Or most of them were actually were farmers. Because mm -hmm. that so like that Thomas Jefferson, for example, he he was like he was always thinking about um, farming stuff. Yeah, like it yeah. was it was like and so anytime he made a law, he was like, "How is this going to affect farming?" <laughs> and so like right. Uh, but like another thing is, yeah, they they did their two years or four years and they got out. Like, mm -hmm. I I think uh, if I ever did run for political office, first of all, it'd be at the state level, state rep or something, state senator. And then I would yeah. like get the heck out of there because like the other weird thing here in Kansas, I don't know, I'm not sure how it is in Texas, but in Kansas, you have to you only meet like three months out of the year and they don't pay yeah, same you in Texas. Okay. Yeah. See, and I actually, I'm conflicted. every other year, Texas, the Texas legislature only meets during the summer every two years. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's crazy. No wonder no progress is made. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, but see, and then I, I'm conflicted because I, the good part about that is like, oh, these people are forced to, um, you know, be back into the so-called real world. But at the same time, it's a privilege for them to be able to just take three months off mm -hmm. and that, which that means the people that do go into politics, they have assets that they're sitting on or some kind of, yeah. they're, they're living pretty good lives. They have a lot of wealth built up. And so they can do that. Like, um, and so that again, leads to the class divide. So the vast, I mean, even just to run for political office, a lot of them self-fund their own campaigns when they first get started. Um, we would never would have heard about this. Uh, there's this, guy that ran in 2020 in the democratic party what was his name he was he was a billionaire i forgot his name already but you <laughs> probably know who i'm talking i'm not talking about michael bloomberg but the other billionaire who ran in 2020 yep i never talking about yeah and he uh he spent so much money and all that money spent was like so he can get one percent in the polls mm -hmm. but that just to get to that that point um yeah it's amazing like just to run yeah um anyway we have a. Uh, I wanted to mention really quickly, and this is, this is, I'm not actually arguing for this, but it was fascinating. If anyone wants a podcast recommendation, Malcolm Gladwell did an episode in his podcast revisionist history called the Powerball Revolution. And it's all about this guy who's been researching 
democratic elections by lottery. And it's one of those ideas that sounds terrible. And then when you hear him explain it at small local levels, not at a national level, at small school levels, local levels, it's like amazing. So it's like basically anyone who wants to run can put their name in and then it's just a lottery. There's some requirements and stuff. And it, they, he talked about they did it at this school somewhere in South America and how it like totally changed the school because all of a sudden you get shy kids that are in student government now because they didn't want to make a speech, but now they don't have to make a speech. Anyway, you should check it out. It was really fascinating. I, I heard about it a long time ago, forgot about it. Thanks for bringing it to our attention. Yeah, Great. I'm checking that out for sure now. <laughs> um, uh, Leviticus, Leviticus Prime, thank you. The, the way we make the world a better place is to make B Mr. Beat dictator. So Great. Uh, it's that simple, folks. Um, I tell people, I'm like, make me czar, make me czar for like a year. And then I promise I'll go retire on an island and never, never come back. But just make me czar for a year. And I'll but once you out. get that power, it's hard to give it up. It's like, I think I'd get too tired. I just want to go. <laughs> I'd want to go off to Elba like Napoleon did and be like, everyone just leave me alone. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> like, it's not worth it anymore. Uh, well, thank you, Leviticus, uh, even though I, I don't know. Uh, where would you rank Warren Harding now? I tweeted about him yesterday because it was the 100th anniversary of his death. Oh, um, and one of my questions actually is, who do you oh. think is the most underrated president? Okay, well, then let's just do that related. Well, and, and you can talk about your thoughts on Warren Harding, yeah. Okay, I like it. Um, and also Jerry Ford, I love that. Um, <laughs> the, the, from The Simpsons. Um yeah. So, well, first of all, about Warren Harding, uh, he used to be my least favorite president. Mm -hmm. He's mo he's moved up a little bit over the years. I would say now he's probably like the fifth worst or sixth worst because mm -hmm. I learned some things about him. He was actually fairly forward thinking and some of his policy and mm -hmm. uh, like especially civil rights. He he was more ahead of his time than I realized. Oh, and, me too. and my viewers brought that to my attention. So thank you, viewers, for that. Um mm -hmm. But as far as like under most underrated president is what you asked, right? Most underrated. Yeah, I mean, I still I made a video about this back in the day, but I think I still stand by it. it I think it's James Polk. Um, even though I'm he not went a to UNC Chapel Hill. Go Tar Heels. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Which I was never very proud of, so I'm interested to hear your argument now. Well, the reason why where you live right now is in the United States. The big reason is because of him too. That's yeah, true. I mean, I, the thing is, like, I, I'm not a fan of James Polk. I mean, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, ethically, <laughs> like he was kind of a rotten person in terms of he just was a completely. It was a war of aggression, in my opinion, the yeah. Mexican-American War. Yeah, like he. Uh, but at the same time, like if you look at his legacy, man, we literally uh, so much of the country, including the wealthiest parts of the country, which Texas, California, hello today, yeah. uh, wouldn't if it weren't for him because he really drummed up the I mean, he convinced Congress to vote for war. And uh, but then also he got Oregon Territory peacefully um, with mm -hmm. Britain. That could have been another war. Um, and uh, just. He kind of he got he went in there did what he said he was going to do lowered lowered tariffs which I think was another good thing and then uh, he left after one term and then he promptly died a couple of months later and like yeah we don't remember him he's not on Mount Rushmore he's not um, mm -hmm. he, he's just uh, in fact I would say even in Tennessee where he was from originally yeah uh, there's not a lot of people that even even know about him because I don't even. 
I mean, his museum is, uh, I think it was started just a few decades ago and it's pathetic. I haven't been there, but I heard it's not very good. It's like, it's, there's not much there. No offense if you work at the, the Polk Museum. I'm so sorry if I offended you. <laughs> to our sponsors at the Polk Museum, we're very sorry. But it's nothing compared to the Ronald Reagan Museum. Like, yeah. have you been to the Reagan Museum? No, but I've, the LBJ Museum is just down the street from me and it's amazing. Um, yeah, some of those presidential libraries and museums are incredible. Yeah, I heard that's a good one too. I've never been there. Uh, mm -hmm. Man, maybe I should just go down. That's an excuse to go film a video about LBJ. I'm just gonna. <laughs> it's a really good museum too. They do a lot of cultural stuff too. They do a lot of stuff of like what life was like when LBJ was ruling. So it's a lot of '60s stuff too. I've done some work with them. They're anyway, nice. they're great. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. Got... I agree on Polk. I think like I still don't like Polk like as a. Hurt. I don't like his morals and his ethics or whatever, but you're right. Mm -hmm. As far as like impact on the country, it is weird how much we gloss over. Like anyway, we like tripled in size or doubled in size or whatever. <laughs> Let's move on. So yeah, I think you're right. My, my answer to that is always Taft. I think Taft is really un underrated. Oh, okay. Yeah. Why, why Taft? I'll give you my quick, I mean, it's mostly, I don't think he was like the greatest president we ever had, but most, you tell me, what do most people, they know one fact about Taft. You know oh, what it is? The bathtub thing. It's that he got stuck in the bathtub because he was very large. And so yeah. what's fascinating is that Taft actually did a ton. Um, I went on another podcast in defense of Taft. I did a whole thing about him. But <laughs> one is that he he actually did the things Teddy Roosevelt said he was doing. Yeah, the trust busting. So Teddy Roosevelt was like, sure, we'll bust the trust. And then he sort of just made <laughs> handshakes with people. And then Taft came in and was like, let's actually make sure this is legal so it holds. He was a really, okay, this is going to be a weird thing to say. He was a really good, effective governor of the Philippines. And I say that as like, that's a really problematic job for a white <laughs> dude to have. I'm not saying we should have had a governor of the Philippines, but he like actively integrated. He wanted to have like more Filipino representation in their colonial government. Like they, they kind of really liked him there. He actually didn't. Teddy Roosevelt was like, I need you to come run for president. And he was like, I feel like I'm doing really good work here in the Philippines. And they dragged him to be president. Yeah. And he's the only president who was also the chief justice of the Supreme Court, which is his was his dream job. His dream job was to be on the Supreme Court. And Teddy yep. Roosevelt basically said, be president for a little bit and then we'll figure out a way to get you on the Supreme Court. Like he didn't even want to be president. Right. And now everyone just remembers him as the guy that got stuck in the bathtub. And I think that's really sad. <laughs> anyway. And that, that probably didn't even happen. Like it's a, like it's funny how history works like that. Is this yeah. uh and also I have a soft spot for any any president or any politician period that just, just doesn't want to do it. Like uh I just mm -hmm. looked again at Horatio Seymour, who ran for president in 1872 for the Democratic Party against Grant. And Horatio was like he was like not only did he not want to do it, he like with a passion didn't want to do it. And this is back, like back in the 1800s, a lot of people don't realize that today. Like back then in the 1800s, candidates did not campaign right. at all. Like mm -hmm. they just stayed home. Um, that's why it was a big deal when William Jennings Bryan was started, he went around and started giving speeches. Like, what is he doing? You know? Yeah, it's embarrassing. What's, what's happening? <laughs> and yeah, so like, and Horatio uh, Seymour was, yeah, he not only um, stayed home, but he also like, I think uh, he would give speeches when he when he did give speeches, like because I think he was in Congress at the time or maybe he was a governor of New York or something. I don't remember. But anyway, he he was like, yeah, no, please. There's other people. I, he would recommend other people like, you know, <laughs> so uh, that's awesome. Yeah, it, it's a, but he probably still would have been mediocre. But I'm just saying. Yeah. Uh, 
Thank you, Andrew, for that. That and um, also we've got your your uh, Luke says you're anti bull moose, uh, and no. uh, <laughs> I'm not anti bull moose. I'm just saying Taft Taft deserves better. He was the head of two of three branches of government. He was the only president who served on the Supreme Court. I'm just saying he deserves better than the bathtub story. That's all I'm saying. I agree. And yeah. uh, Brady, uh, I've been to the Gerald Ford Museum in Grand Rapids. I highly Ooh. recommend. 10 out of 10. Uh, the JFK Museum is really cool in Boston, too. It's like right on the harbor. It's very JFK. You get to see like the yacht he got given as a 15-year-old birthday present. It's wild. Right on the harbor. Yeah. Basically, yeah. It's like the most JFK thing ever, but it's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, and I do have a related question for my fifth question for oh, you. Great. This, this is just working perfectly. And that is, um, yeah, you're, I mean, I had to ask. Your favorite and least favorite president and why? <laughs> Okay, I want to clarify, favorite like as a human being or favorite like to teach? Oh, uh, you know, that is a big, yeah, because my favorite to teach is Andrew Jackson. and Me too. There you go, see, yep. yep. Actually, and LBJ, I, I'll, I'll just say, I think my favorite's LBJ. And I okay. think, I think that goes for maybe both. Partly because I'm from Austin. He was like, a, he's from the Hill Country. His museum's right down the road. I find LBJ really fascinating and it's partly because I love learning about people who are, have all these contradictions and LBJ is like full of contradictions. Like he, he his, his legacy is like the Vietnam war, which is massive and we should talk about, but also his legacy is like Medicare and Medicaid and like all, all these different things. Like he did so much as president and again, most people like I've done videos about LBJ and most people in the comments just I bet they'll start doing it now. Just make jokes about how he would like. Um, Jumbo dis display himself. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, yeah, he was probably an asshole. You know what I mean? And he was a misogynist and whatever. But it's like, again, it's another one of those. I find him really fascinating. And I'm also fascinated about how. He came out of, he was a teacher. He was one of our only presidents who was mm -hmm. an, actually like a K through 12 teacher. He taught at this really impoverished school for mostly like Latino students outside San Antonio. And he brought that experience and did a ton for teachers. Like he's an example of what we we're talking about before. Someone who like really did come from like the people and became the president and seemed to not ever forget that. And I just find that fascinating. Did tons of things wrong too, but. And then least favorite president? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll 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 do like not in my lifetime. I don't want to get too old. <laughs> but um hmm, least favorite president would be I don't know. I feel like I mean Nixon. Nixon's a safe Nixon just because he's so disappointing. Nixon disappoints me. It's what he's one of those where I'm like, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed because he had so much promise. He did so many really fascinating things like his foreign policy, whether I like it or not, was like genius. And and then like Watergate's so stupid. It's so dumb that I just it makes me mad. So maybe I'll say Nixon. Not as dumb as stuff going on right now. <laughs> I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna leave it out of that. But I just Nixon's one of those where I'm like, oh man, you did you did actually some really interesting things, yeah. and then you just threw it all down the drain on such a dumb. Again, it's not even like that's when I teach Watergate now. Kids are like, that's it. That's all. Yeah, you that's it. They tapped it. And I'm like, I know. And he went down with it swinging and was like, anyway. So that's well, me. and 
you know, his ego got the best of him. I mean, yeah. you have to kind of have a big ego to begin with to even consider running for president. Yeah. Uh, and like, that's, I think it was just a character flaw, but yeah, the, is in terms of, he did a lot of great things. Like yeah. I do think one of the most important moves in American history was opening up trade with China and uh, yeah. di diplomacy with China, Masterful. Mm -hmm. the EPA, the clean air and, uh, or the uh, yeah, clean air act. Um, yeah. Like all these things that you don't even associate, like he was a Republican, even though he was passing things that Democrats appreciate mm -hmm. today. And then I don't know my, my, uh, and he was also one of my 10 worst presidents when I made my, worst presence video back like that was like five or six years ago but he's kind of gone up in the rankings a little bit for me mm -hmm. too like harding the more I, I mean especially when you look at the current stuff going down and he kind of like makes it yeah oh yeah um i still think that james buchanan was probably the worst uh like just because i i don't know and there's a lot we don't know about james buchanan because a lot of it was lost as it turns out in history mm -hmm. um but yeah, like it's from the limited information we have, it just seems like he was like, I don't know, I can't do anything about it. He's just the shoulder shrugger, like watching yeah. the country just on the eve of civil war, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then when he does act, it's like, well, Dred Scott decision was good, guys. <laughs> yeah, he does not read the room. He doesn't he seem to really read the room very well. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's fair. Just not a good leader. I, I, that's the thing. Like Abraham Lincoln may have had a couple missteps in my opinion but you cannot deny his leadership yeah like anyone who denies his leadership at all i'm sorry you you don't have any credibility to me yeah <laughs> so that's a good point he was not well he may have been gay but we don't no know evidence that he was gay but he was the only one he was he was essentially unmarried as president right, right. i think he had the a only. wife who died and then he had a had a long-term roommate that he lived with yeah so yeah that was uh that. yeah that, that's all speculation who knows who knows who maybe knows? so <laughs> uh okay well oh wait is it me now it's your turn oh yeah. sorry okay okay i'm gonna switch to something else i have this my my other ones are not history related this is sort of though this is my favorite game to play when i'm like proctoring exams and have to just watch kids take a test i think about who would play them in the movie of their life so I want to know who would play you in the movie of your life. And you can go two ways. You can go like, I've been told I look like this person or like who would capture your essence, your spirit. They can be dead or alive. Anyone who's like an entertainer, who would you want to play you? Uh, well, the, th the first thing that comes to mind is uh, I have gotten comments, especially when I'm, I'm not on camera, that I, I sound like Adam Scott, who is a... Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if you remember him from Parks and Rec and totally. also the, the new Party show. Down, yeah. Yeah. Severance, by the way, is like, it's have so you seen good. Severance? It's so good. Oh, I wow. can't wait for the next season to come out. Oh my God. I know. It's the, the, the best new show. And, and now it won't come out for a while because of Forever. the right. Yeah. But that's okay. Um, you see Adam Scott. Yeah. But yeah. So, but my personality doesn't match him at all. Like he's kind of like, kind of, you know, the sarcastic kind of. But he's a good actor. So he could play you. Maybe he's, yeah. Um, in terms of like spirit, uh, I think, I don't know. I, I'm, who's the most awkward one you can, I mean, what's that guy's name? Uh, Michael, 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 Sarah, Sarah, Sarah. Yeah. That's, what, <laughs> that's probably the closest thing. Cause like, I remember seeing him for the first time and that uh, was it super bad. And I was like, uh, I was like, this guy is like, 
he kind of reminds me a little bit of myself. And, and so you know, <laughs> you know who I'm realizing you remind me of, and I, I hope you, I think you'll take this the right way. Do you know? Um, did you watch Party Down that Adam Scott was in? It, I don't think the I one did. where they're caterers. Okay, no. he was also in Freaks and Geeks, but there's an actor that shows up all the time. And he he has like long dark hair, but he sounds a lot like you. I think I know who you're talking about. I'm gonna look him up because I, I could see I could see that too. Um, Was he also in Silicon Valley? I think so. I um, I'm not sure. Um, I'm gonna look it up and I'm gonna find it. And you can decide. Martin Starr is his name. Yeah, yes. Martin Starr. Yeah, I'm not too surprised that you would say that. <laughs> yeah, that guy, uh, especially in Freaks and Geeks, that was me. <laughs> I can see that. Well, I loved his character in uh, Silicon Valley, uh, which is yeah. another one of my favorite shows. And uh, shout out to uh, Mike Judge, who created that show. Um, my, In fact, my former podcast host, uh, Helen Hong, shout out to Helen as well. I'm just giving shout outs all night long. Uh, she like has his phone number and he follows her on Twitter. I'm never calling it X. Twitter. Mike and Judge. I'm like, yeah, because she worked with him on Silicon Valley, and and I was just like, That's "Hey, really cool. uh, you got to hook me up, bro." <laughs> like, <laughs> I will say, as a Texan, as a Texan, King of the Hill is oh, yeah. art, and I wish more people watched that cartoon. It's yes. art as a Texan. Like he has a dog named Ladybird after Ladybird Johnson. Like it's so good. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, he captures the spirit of Texas very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, well. Uh, my no, turn. Do am I supposed? Do I answer mine? It's oh. your turn to ask. Yeah, I mean, you can answer yours if you want to. The person yeah. I would like, yeah. who I think would capture my spirit the best, is Kristen Wiig. Um, oh. I, I haven't been told I look like her as much, but I I've been told by my friends that she could capture my dance moves and <laughs> sort of silliness as well. So she would be. I think she would be my pick. Anyway. I love Kristen Wiig. Uh, we just right. watched Bridesmaids again. I was like. Yeah. Wow, this is a classic. <laughs> um, okay, yeah. So, I, this is back to teaching stuff. So sorry if we're no, it's great. Um, what has been the most like? What's the most difficult thing to teach students? Intentionally mm. open ended again. <laughs> the most difficult thing to teach students. Um, anything related to economics. And that's for two reasons. One is because I really struggle with economics. It's like, I'm trying to have a growth mindset about it and be like, I can learn, but I really struggle. When you came on my podcast, you're teaching me about this. You were like, he's a guy who's an economist. And I was like, oh no, I'm not going <laughs> to understand any of this. But I think it's also, it's hard to teach students about it because especially when you're younger, I mean, economics is everything. Like it explains so much of what happens in a country. I think we're understanding it now going through the craziness of like the pandemic and the job upheaval. And so like, we're actually seeing like, oh, inflation. We, we actually see what that looks like. But I found in the past, it's really hard to get kids to understand when there's some moment in history where you just have to understand like the tariff or you have to understand inflation to really understand why someone would vote a certain way or would that is the trickiest because until you live through it and you're like, oh, right, paying $8 for grapes or whatever, like is crazy. And it's going to have a bigger impact on my daily life than a president's stance on, I don't know, some big foreign policy. So just generally, I have a hard time explaining it 
And I think students have a hard time feeling like it's important because it seems just kind of dry, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that was me when I was in high school. Uh, yeah. And then I ended up teaching it and loving it later in life. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I would agree. Like you could have interpreted that question differently, by the way. You could have also said, hey, uh, when I had when I have to teach about um, uh, like, I don't know, like uh, some, I don't know, more recent history or something mm -hmm. like that. I don't know. Like, well, uh, that's true. 21st century is tough. I stopped my podcast, my U.S. history podcast. I stopped on a cliffhanger in the year 2015. <laughs> it's like, that's the end of the season. That's because the end I of just, history. <laughs> yeah, I just didn't want to get it. It's like, I think historians need around 10 years to let things settle before they can start to really figure out like what's what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's true. Um, you know, I, I the thing about economics, what I always... I think a lot of people can't even define economics and that's, that's a big problem. Cause if they actually knew the definition, then they would actually, Oh, I will. I like that. Cause like, it's just about making choices based mm -hmm. on scarcity. And I always say, I always open up every, I, I used to open up every semester saying, Hey, um, if, if we had an endless supply of everything, um, this class wouldn't exist. In fact, maybe, maybe we will live in a post scarcity society where everything mm -hmm. like there's a surplus of everything. And like, they couldn't, they can never wrap their heads around that. Like, well, you mean I wouldn't have to worry about it? You're right. It would all be there like instantly. Like, and they don't think, first of all, they, they're like, no, nah, Mr. Beat, that couldn't happen. But like, it also like, yeah, cause so much it's they it, before I tell them that they only think it's about money. Oh, it's just money. Money. Like, mm -hmm. no, no, it's about choices. And so every time you're making a choice, your um it's based on scarcity like whether it be time or usually it's time or money yeah but it could be anything i mean everything runs out so um once you kind of frame it that way i think it, it kind of gets them reels them in a little bit more and it reeled me in more i'm like oh i've never heard it explained that way either and i like there that better go. there you go try it with them try oh, good it. Job. Yeah. <laughs> uh all right cool man I feel like I accomplished something. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, fine. I'll try it. I'll go back and read an economics textbook. <laughs> okay. Um, speaking of this, this is kind of a random question. I found, I thought this was something everyone did and maybe they don't now. Do you reread books? Um, not very often. Mm. Uh, there's, yeah, it has to be like a really good book and I have to like, it has to, a lot of time has to pass. Like, oh, one example is 1984. Mm -hmm. I uh, I read it the first time because we had to, you know, in high school, it was like required. Sure. Uh, and then I remember I went back and during my libertarian phase of life, um, <laughs> I went yeah. back and reread it. I was like, oh, yeah, man. Yes, Big Brother is always watching. <laughs> uh, and now I probably need to watch it again now that I'm yeah. in like the note. I don't have like an ideology anymore. But I, uh, and then, you know, there's some books that are just so darn good. Like, uh, I have it behind me Republic lost. Um, I, because also I'm like, well, does it hold up? You know, because if some, he like he wrote Lawrence Lessig wrote Republic, have you heard of that book? Republic mm -hmm. lost. No, he wrote that book, I think about 12 years ago or something. And it was basically about corporate welfare. That's what the book is okay. about. And, and special interests, like in the marriage of government and, and uh, corporations. And, I, I read it again like a couple years ago and I was like, or no, this was during the pandemic. And I was like, holy crap, literally nothing has changed. Yeah. Um, another book, one more that I read, I reread recently was, um, uh, oh gosh. Uh, 
oh, what's the name of it? I'm blanking because I'm on in the live stream. Um, <laughs> it's not back behind me. Um, I always forget the name of it. It's about um, the uh, inequalities with schools. Mm. Uh, uh, oh, Savage Inequalities is actually the name of it, I think. Savage Inequalities. And it's about... Um, so this was written like 1990. Oh. And it's... Or, okay, I just Googled it. 1991. And it's basically the disparities in education between, you know, like the inner cities and rural school districts versus the suburban, mm. really wealthy districts. Yeah. And, you know, I experienced this. Like I work, I used to work and uh, I have substitute taught in the inner city school district. And then I also worked in a very wealthy school district. And, and for a time there, I worked in both at the same time. And it just like blew my freaking mind, you mm -hmm. know, and you probably noticed that it was private schools too. Like it's like a whole different world. A different world. Yeah. Uh, and I, so anyway, it was written in 1991 and I reread it literally a couple of months ago when I was on the plane and holy crap, it holds up. It's depressing how it holds. Cause it's like, we really haven't made progress in, yeah. in uh, 32 years. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so man. Anyway. Do you mostly, you mostly read nonfiction then? Yeah, mostly. I mostly do fiction. I can't read people give me books. People give me history books all the time. And my brain, I just feels like work. I just like, but I have such a hard time. You like the hunger games. I love the right. Hunger Games. I like I'm the Hunger reading, Games. I'm reading a bunch of Sarah J. Moss right now. I read like fantasy, Harry, and I will read them over and over. Like Game I of will. Thrones? Game of huh? Thrones. Game of Thrones. Throne of Glass. Like if it's a fantasy, <laughs> if it's meant to be for young adults, I'm there. And I will literally. I realized this was weird. I will literally finish a book and be like, "That was so good," and like start it back over again hmm. in the same sitting. Okay. Which I just thought my husband observed it. And was like, what are you doing? And so that's why I wanted to ask you because I didn't realize that was so strange. No offense, that is that is strange. Uh, yeah, that's totally fair. Yeah, <laughs> totally fair. But the book, the, see, a lot of those books, though, like, um, it's it's escapism because mm -hmm. it's like, oh, distant or like far off future or fantasy. But at the same time, they're really social studies books. A lot of those books. They're all based on, I mean, I'm reading every book going like, oh, Game of Thrones. Those are the Mongols. Those mm. are the whatever. Like, and it's, and I like that. I, that's one of my favorite things. If people aren't really into history for any other reason, I'm like, you're going to get so many references that no one else gets. Like, you're going to watch any movie and be able to understand like, oh, this was inspired by, I did a whole podcast episode about Game of Thrones and how it was basically just plagiarized from the English like War of the Roses. Like yes. George R. R. Martin, you go to history, you learn about the War of the Roses and it's like literally almost word for word, except for there's no dragons. It's like the same, you know? And dragons, of course, you know, that's been, a mythical creature has been around for- Yeah, that's a historic- Thousands of years. Yeah. yeah. Nobody's creative anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's cool. Um, anyway, I think it's my, yeah, I could probably go on. Um, Let's see. There's no segue. Is it my turn? Wait. It's your turn. Yeah, totally random. That's fine. We can go like. All right. So this is the seventh question. I'm glad this ticker's here because otherwise I would lose track. Um. All right. I'll go ahead and ask you this. They get a little bit heavier from here on out. Um, Make it lighter. Okay. This will be good. <laughs> okay. So anytime I release a video about female historical figures, like for example, and I think I mentioned to this when we did a podcast together recently, it's like, I did a video about Jane Adams and I was so excited about it. It's like, oh, Jane Adams is so cool. She's awesome. But the video tanked and, uh, you know, I do other videos about female historic, historical char 
actors and they also tank. Most of my audience, most people watching right now, listening are male. Mm -hmm. Um, why do you think that is? <laughs> and I kind of like, you're going to get me in trouble with your audience. So, okay. History has traditionally been a very masculine discipline. And I think that's because for the longest time, history meant the study of like great men and wars. And I'm not, I'm not saying that like I'm fascinated by wars and I'm fascinated, you know, like a woman can be an authoritarian dictator too, but just generally I think for the longest time, history was really traditional. When you talked about history, you were talking about like presidents and wars, right? Or like Napoleon or that sort of thing. And so I think that what's happening right now, which I hope I'm part of, is history is expanding to, to be about more than that, to say like, well, sure, but it's also just as legitimate to talk about social movements or to talk about what it was like, what families were like in the past. And sometimes it's more relevant what, you know, what a family looked like than who was the president at the time or looking at social movements, looking at resistance movements, looking at culture. And a lot of those, I think, for the longest time have been seen as like not as serious and they've been seen as more feminine in an interesting way. Um, <laughs> like I know when I meet someone, okay, I might get myself in trouble, but it's okay. I stand behind this. <laughs> there is a class of people that's very specific. And I'm probably not talking about anyone in your audience, but there's a class of people that I now kind of call history bros. <laughs> and every female historian, when I say those two words, immediately knows what I'm talking about. Immediately. And it's typically someone who's not a history teacher or a historian, but they just really love history, but in a very specific way and in a way that they want to like prove that they know more about it than I do. <laughs> and it's a thing that happens all the time. And it's mm -hmm. wild to me. Like I'll be at a work party with my husband's work and his CFO will walk up and be like, I heard you were a history teacher. And I can tell I'm like, he's just going to want to talk about D-Day for the next two hours. Right. I love this. This is great. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about though? It's yes. like, and I'm like, yeah, D-Day is cool. I'm like, but, and, and, and it's, I want to be really clear. I'm not saying someone who just loves history is this person. It's, there's this element of wanting to prove that they as a casual fan know more than me as an actual historian. And a lot of times that comes from me being more interested in more feminine, quote unquote, softer things. Like I'm interested in social movements. I'm interested in culture. I'm interested in women's movements, people of, you know, like resistance, that sort of thing, because I see myself in that history. And I think that there's a group of people that kind of are gatekeeping and going, well, that's not that's not as important as knowing about all of Eisenhower's decisions in the D-Day invasions. And I'm like, it's just not my thing. So I, I've noticed that too. I've curated kind of on my channel, my audience is mostly women and mostly female. And I think a lot of them come because, yeah, they feel, they feel like sometimes their interests in history are seen as like silly and not as, not as important. And I have found that when I come and do things like this, when I come onto your channel or onto Heimler's channel, I encounter a lot more resistance from people than I ever do on my own page because I just realized we've all curated our own little audience. You know what I mean? But I've noticed that. I've noticed that it's like, it's, I've st I still every year, most years have a student or two that, that wants to like dismiss or pro prove that I don't know everything that I think I know. And it's very strange that it's 2023 and it's still happening, but it happens a lot. Yeah. Yeah.
I had a wake up call early on with my my channel because I was like, oh, this is just a fascinating topic, and and I'm I'm always been fascinated fascinated by fashion history, which is kind of ironic because I have no fashion. Like the shirt I have is like the coolest shirt I own, but I. Uh, my wife buys all of my clothes from Kohl's or wherever for me. I'm, you know, <laughs> and so like I, um, like, but I'm fascinated by like, okay, I, I read one time that oh, men used to wear high heels, and I was yeah. like, oh, and then boy, little boys used to wear um, dresses, and yeah. so that's like, and so I have videos about these topics, and my my history of high heels video was the first video I had on the channel that did really well, and it was an eye opening experience. I was like, oh, like maybe. I should do more of this stuff because my personal interest in history has always been political history. And now, obviously, as you know, like who's been in power throughout much of human history, it's been men. Yeah. Um, and then specifically the United States, who's been in power, white men, pretty much. Um, yeah. and so I, I'm kind of stuck there because like, yeah, if you're going to talk about the presidents, you can't diversify that more than it was. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Let's talk about the first female president. Oh, that's never happened. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so, I, yeah, just when Kamala Harris was the first vice president, like, I was like, oh, finally, I, can, I can't wait to make a video about her someday. I, that's yeah. literally the first thing that popped in my mind, mm -hmm. even though, like, I was like, literally, I don't have any strong opinions about her. How can you have strong opinions about the vice president? They don't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> Who's the worst vice president in history? I'm like, tell Why? me. Tell me anything a vice president has done. Yeah, go yeah. watch Veep. Like, go watch Veep. It's fine. Yeah. Oh, I love that show. We're watching And I do think, I think, and we can then move on, but I do feel really strongly about this, that, like, I, I even see some people in the chat that are like, well, history's just been dominated by men. And I'm like, that's not true. The history we've talked about and yes. taught about has been dominated by men. Like, history is everything that's happened in the past. And there's just, there's 50-50 women and men, right? So, and I'm not saying that, like, we should talk about female presidents the same amount of time we talk about male presidents because that doesn't make any sense. But I think that's what's happening is that we're starting to realize like learning all about the president and all about the battle movements is really interesting and cool. But there's like a million other things that were also happening like during the Civil War that don't relate to that at all that were also really important. And so, um, and I'm not meaning to make all of those things seem like feminine or for women, but that's typically how people frame it to me. So anyway. <laughs> Well, no, yeah. Um, I think we should keep talking about this. Like, oh no, it's such an important <laughs> thing. Like, I um, the other thing too, yeah, military history. Like the the biggest history geeks I encounter are military history geeks. I'm just mm -hmm. like, you know, are, when are you going to be a general and you have to know these military strategies? You don't need to know this stuff. It's more important to know the social history and political history, yeah. and cultural history. And then, but then I vent about this to other um history tubers and but usually it's it's other guys yeah a lot of the the ones i collaborate with um are um you know they're white guys like me but at the same time they um they cover social history they cover yeah. cultural cu cultural history political history not just military history and we always were like ah oh, i wish there was more um female history teachers on youtube Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I always have to stop. I'm like, guys, they, they're there. You just don't watch them because they're not covering what you're interested in. Mm -hmm. one, one example, there's a channel called, um, I, I think her, I don't know her real name, but her channel is Jay Draper. Mm -hmm. Have you heard of Jay Draper before? I'm actually not on YouTube very much, which is why. Oh, but yeah. Well, I recommend her channel. Like, but it's not like, like her last um, video she just released, it was about why we talk differently 
why English has evolved basically because she's so like around the Canterbury Tales mm. and like because remember did you have to read the Canterbury Tales when you were no no thank God but <laughs> oh my gosh and uh, yeah it's like a different language and you're just like you just spend the whole time translating it and so yeah sure her, the video is about language essentially and like the history of language and so and then there's just so much other parts of history other than military history and it's mm -hmm. so frustrating that there's just like Oh, you're into history. And then you just start talking about the assumption the is, yeah, I think, I think there's still people and I want to be really clear. I love military history too. Like I took military yeah. history classes in college and I think it's super fun too. I'm not, I don't want anyone to feel like, I, I think a lot of that gets passed down. Like, Oh, your dad is really into learning about this war. And then he makes you watch documentaries and like, it, that's cool. I think that what happens though, is that for a lot of people, when they say history is a field, they picture like world war two. Yeah. And they picture like Churchill, Hitler, Stalin and FDR and then like battles and that that's just like one very small part of history. Um, I think the other reason why there's not as many big history, well, history female YouTubers is I know I don't I don't do as many as much stuff on YouTube because I find that the audience isn't as receptive. <laughs> as other places that I find I, I, yeah. I encounter. And I'm not suggesting that like, you know, these history bros don't also correct and talk down to male historians, but I will just say for myself and some other people that I've kind of worked with that I just tend to stay on TikTok. T weirdly tends, seems to be the like the most open and the most open to like, I just want to hear your experience. And I think it's because you can really curate and like see it, find exactly the people that you're looking for. So that's mm -hmm. why I've actually not done as much stuff on YouTube is because I find when I do, my comment section gets filled with people who call me like that lady or say I'm like yapping about history, which is a, a whole, whole oh other gosh. conversation. You need to get me to moderate on there. How I'll take care of them. <laughs> I, I, you gotta have the moderators. I have them actually. The word yap. If I never, if no one ever says the word yap again, I will be very happy. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, so thank okay. you, MOU for Wood, Woodrow Wilson's wife, President Ark. Yeah. Edith Our Wilson. first female president, That's basically. Right. Yeah. Shout out to Edith. Um, <laughs> and thank you, Ale Wife, <laughs> for the super chat. Uh, it's your turn. Okay. Um, <laughs> let me think. I'm going to do, okay. What's. Mine are getting progressively sillier, so this is great. What's what's the weirdest thing you eat? Oh, I'm I'm a pretty basic guy when it comes to food. Yeah. Or what's something you eat that people go like really? And they you um, know? I love broccoli. Um, and I even got my daughters to love it because we just eat it all the time. And it oh, makes goodness. me makes me fart. And uh, in fact, we had it. <laughs> I'm like, that's why I'm farting right now. You, you can't, thankfully can't smell that. But uh, yeah, I put it on pizza. I put broccoli on pizza. pizza. Oh, no, that's yeah. weird. Yeah, there we go. Very weird. That's, uh, I also put cream cheese on pizza. Is that weird? Or like, I, I bet order. it's amazing, but yes, it's weird. Cream cheese and broccoli on pizza might be my new favorite type of pizza. Yeah. Mine is, um, I put Cheetos on peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Try it. It's really good. That actually does sound kind of You good. put a Cheeto, but you got to put it in the sandwich. Get no, sandwich. with jelly? Peanut butter, strawberry jelly, Cheetos. Try it. I think it's I would so prefer good. it just with the peanut butter and Cheeto. No, no, the jelly is like, it's a little sweet. It's a little, you got to, <laughs> me, and me and my husband, we figured out that we both like this thing separately. We didn't, I was like, I was like sneaking some in and he was like, what are you doing? And we realized like, that's when we knew we were meant for each other. <laughs> that's so romantic. 
yeah, yeah, that's crazy. That yeah, because that's not something. Anybody in the chat like that as well? Um, probably not. Probably not. Somebody's ate somebody ate crab brain though. So <laughs> I never thought about crabs having a brain. I mean, it makes sense that they do, but I've never thought about it before. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, that was that light in the mood a little bit after that deeper question. <laughs> um, but I'm gonna make it. Oh no, I'll keep it light. Yeah. I was following your, um, your, you know, your travels. Um, hmm. So, I mean, we went to Europe for the first time recently and, or I did. Uh, how was your European trip? Where'd you go? And like, was, have you been there before? Just yeah, it was ahead. amazing. Yeah, I've been really lucky to travel a lot. And a lot of it, I've been able to travel as a teacher, like travel with students and stuff abroad. Oh. So, but me and um, me and a friend of mine, Emily Poole, she's all over to Poole for school. If you do, if you're a student that takes like European history, she's your she's me, but for Europe. Anyway, we decided that we both have a fairly large social media following. And so we decided we would see if some of our adult followers wanted to go on a trip. So that's what this was in July. Oh. We opened it up. We built this trip called the Ottoman Empire in Europe. And the idea was like we would kind of from the outskirts of the furthest the Ottomans got into Europe, Vienna, we would go all the way back to Istanbul and learn about the Ottomans. And we were like, any history nerds want to come with us? So we got 28 people, 28 people signed up and came with us. And it was incredible. It was like 28 strangers from a lot of them were teachers. Some of them weren't. Um, we did these fun little like lessons in advance where we, we would all get on Zoom and I would teach people about Suleiman the Magnificent or whatever. But yeah, so then we then we traveled around and it was incredible. So I got there a little early with Emily and we did Helsinki and Riga, which Riga was like my favorite place. Um, and then we met up and did Vienna, Bratislava, Budapest and Istanbul. And it was amazing. It's all the places that people don't go when they go to Europe. Exactly. American, yeah. Exactly. And that's probably why we did it. We were like, I know a lot of our followers travel and they'll go to Paris on their own, but they might, especially if they're women, they might be like, I don't know, should I go to Istanbul on my own? Spoiler, you should. It's an amazing city. Next summer, we're doing the same thing. We're going to Egypt. And it's the same idea. It's like somewhere that I'm sure a lot of history people really want to go, but maybe feel a little like I'm not sure how to plan a trip to Egypt on my own. So yeah, it's been amazing. Maybe we'll join you. Shoot, that's you should like come. Fun. It'll be Egypt in July, which as a Texan, I'm like, it's it's cooler in Egypt right now than it is in Austin, but it's going to be very hot. But dry heat though, it's a dry heat. It's dry, it is. <laughs> a dry heat. Yeah. Well, is that th is is that that one company or whatever that does those type of trips? Like, is it uh, what's it called? I I've done it with ACIS. That's what we oh, okay. did it with. But there's also EF is another one that does educational tours. I did, I did EF, yeah. And then we're now working with one called Trova Trip that specializes yeah. in adult. So like the other two do student travel. So you might at your school have a trip going. But this one specifically does like adults who want to like get their adult audience to come. So basically 18 and up, um, we have to kind of like make sure you're a real person and you're not, I don't know, as creepy person trying to come on a trip with us but otherwise anyone's welcome to come and it was really fun to just meet a bunch of other history nerds and like build build a new community so yeah 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 that sounds like a, a black i actually they did reach out to me too and i was like i don't know about that because like it does sound like maybe i'll reconsider it though yeah maybe i'll reconsider that you reconsider which one 
uh, it was Trovo. Trovo? I, Trovo, I think Trova. Trova. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, yeah. And they mostly do. A lot of their trips are more like hang out on the beach and whatever, but they had this Egypt itinerary that looked amazing. And again, I saw someone in the chat being like, you know, I think part of the reason why we're doing it is because I think Egypt is one of those places that if you are a woman traveling, you might not want to just go solo travel on your own to parts of Egypt, right? Myself included, even though many parts of the country are very safe. And so that's the idea is trying to build. Anyone can travel. It's not women only. But the idea is sort of it's me and Emily being like, we'll help you go to these places that you might have otherwise not have been. Um, and it's been amazing. I just got invited to a friend is getting married in India in February. So wow. my husband and I just decided we're doing it me, him and our six-year-old are going to go. So I've, I've been very lucky recently to go on a lot of big trips. So that's amazing. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. We, we went to the UK, uh, not nothing too exciting, but Scotland, we love Scotland. Very exciting. Scotland's amazing. Edinburgh. I recommend for sure. That was our favorite. Yeah. Do you like Harry Potter? Um, casual, but we, we went on the Harry Potter train. I was going to say, because yeah. in Edinburgh, right, there's that whole little street that's like Diagon Alley, and it's very exciting. That too, yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we had to do all the Harry Potter stuff that we saw. <laughs> um, oh, they okay. had a question. Sorry, I'll, I'll answer this real quick. Um, what moment in history in particular comes to mind when you consider the history between the U.S. and specifically South America? This is what um, I studied in college. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> I studied Latin American history wow. and international relations. So um, specifically U.S. and South America, to me, the moment in history is the Cold War. It's got to be the Cold War. And it's got to be like the U.S. backing, often secretly, privately, whatever, backing these sometimes horrific governments that were ruling in South America. So like South America, right, was going back and forth between like maybe way leftist populist rule to then a military rule and back and forth. And in the Cold War, there were especially in Argentina and Brazil. I mean, there were some there was a period in Argentinian history is just called the dirty wars. They were just like that bad. And we the more stuff gets uncovered and declassified, that's what's so interesting about learning about the Cold War is that we're still learning things because some yeah. stuff is still getting declassified. The more we learn how involved the U.S. was in a lot of those South American governments, sometimes directly and sometimes just passively because of the Cold War. Um, so to me, that's like the most fascinating. If you want to talk about the relationship between our governments it's like anything in Latin America, you have to you have to at least talk in depth about the Cold War to understand like any of those relationships. That a good introduction book um, that really got me into that it was a overthrow by Stephen Kinzer, and he's a he's a journalist, so he um, writes in a way that's more interesting than a historian. <laughs> um, so I recommend that book as a gateway to, to all that stuff because that opened my mind. I was going to say, you would probably be really interested in Chile, too, with like the, so we sent econ economists down to Chile. It's called the Chicago Boys, the Chicago School. Yeah. Have you heard this? Yeah, uh, but I don't remember it very well. Ish. But that would be something you'd probably be interested in because it's, yeah, like Pinochet, they had this authoritarian regime, but we sent down a bunch of economic advisors to be like, have you heard of capitalism? Have you heard of, you know? And so, again, it's just fascinating. And I think it's, it's the kind of it's really interesting how little we in the United States learn about Latin American history, even though they're our neighbors. Like we learn more about European history than Latin American history. So, oh, yeah, that's so crazy. I, I love that question. Uh, the first thing that came to my mind was the uh, 
just the Monroe doctrine and how like mm. kind of set the bar high early on was saying, yeah, you, you know, you mess, we're just going to like the entire hemisphere. Our <laughs> backyard. Yeah. Yeah. That was, a. Uh, we like yeah. called dibs on a whole hemisphere. <laughs> it was wild. Yeah. And then uh, Teddy upped it a notch and then, <laughs> but yeah, the, when we talk, when we think about, um, or when I think about the deep state, I should say, that's why I just think of the CIA and especially what they did during the uh, J. Edgar Hoover era. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was pretty shady. Like, yeah, there's probably stuff going down right now that we don't know about that's pretty shady. And we'll find out when they declassify it in 50 years or whatever. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it, a lot of that was just like not doesn't make us look good. No, and you, uh, you, I have a lot of sympathy now for people in this conspiracy theorists in the 60s and 70s. I have yeah. so much sympathy for yes. because I'm like, you were kind of right. There was a lot of stuff that people said, like, y'all are crazy. And then it was like, oh, no, you were actually, the government was actually uncovering up a lot of stuff. So I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I love learning about them. And I love understanding, like, where they came from. And yeah, that Cold War era is just rife for them. And honestly, more of the theories are probably right, righter than they are wrong, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like the Tuskegee experiment, for example. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, they would yeah. never. Yes, they would. Yeah. Yeah. All right, your turn. Okay, this, this is out of left field. This is my favorite if I'm like sitting around, I have a bunch of friends over and I want to just ask, start a conversation. I'm going in a different direction than you, I'm realizing, but... If a witch wanted to summon you with a spell, what three items would they have to like throw in the fire to summon you? <laughs> so it's like, it's the Mr. Beat spell. So we need, and it's like three items and you can be as specific as you want, but that would like summon you. They have to be inanimate objects. They have to be, yeah, they have to be like actual tangible things, but it could be very specific. For example, one of mine would be a passport with a stamp in it. Oh, yeah. you know, like I love to travel and stuff. So I'd be like, oh, you to be able to summon me, you have to go visit somewhere and then you throw your passport in. That's one of mine. <laughs> oh, wow. That's a tough question. And that's such a creative question. Wow. <laughs> Just looking around the room right now. Uh, <laughs> it's all packed away. Um, music is really important to me. So I imagine maybe... Uh, my favorite album or something like that. Like, mm -hmm. so maybe my vinyl record of the Weezer's blue album, maybe throw that mm -hmm. in there. Cause Great. it also like that whole genre of power pop kind of, I think is that's my favorite specific genre. Um, uh, maybe I think my glasses maybe because like mm -hmm. I, you know, I wore contacts for a few years, but at the same time, like, the reason why I had to get glasses to begin with, and apparently this is pretty common, I found out that, that a lot of a lot of kids have to get glasses because um, they're always like this when they're like, and usually it's, they're reading a lot. Mm. Um, for kids these days, it's more like it's like a computer screen. Yeah, and so that's me now too. Like I feel like my eyesight is um, so bad because I'm always like on a computer or reading. Yeah, and really into something really close, and so maybe that's a good symbol. But at the same time. Yeah, like I, I do, I do like to travel as well. And I think um, as far as like uh, a good combination of like, because I like hiking, I like biking, I like driving. You mm. can't put a car in that little pot, can you? No, so it could maybe, be a freaking cauldron, but yeah, that'd be tough. In a cauldron. Uh, um, so maybe like a, a bicycle. 
a horn bell or something. Put that I in. Like there. I was gonna say, or like a wheel, like because you're gonna go somewhere. Oh, that's better. Okay, it I'm could gonna go be wheel. symbolic. Yeah, I like, I, and that is the best way. I mean, the more like when I when we travel, on, like take a road trip. I'm not talking about the interstate. I mean, like let's just get off the, the just the beaten path and just. That's one of my favorite things to do, and it drives my family nuts. <laughs> <laughs> let's go down this county road, and then it turns into a dirt road. You need to turn around, Max. And like, no, let's just see where it ends up. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. What about your three things? Yeah, they change all the time. Mine would be uh, like a passport oh, yeah. with a, with a stamp in it. Um, I joke. <laughs> I joke, and I say like um, soil. <laughs> Soil from the grave of Eleanor Roosevelt. And I say that jokingly, but uh, something maybe like an, an ode to a great woman in history, maybe would be one you have to write like an ode and put it into the fire to Eleanor Roosevelt, Jane Adams, Ida B. Wells, Catherine the Great, pick your lady. Um, and then I'd probably put a microphone because I love performing and I love speaking and I love teaching and I love karaoke. And I feel like that just kind of, that hits at that like less serious side, I guess would probably be the three right now. You've thought about this more than I have. That's good. Well, yeah. it's my go-to like you're trying at a party because everyone will then sit and they, people really think about it. And it's like a really fun conversation starter that no one's ever thought of before. <laughs> um, somebody put a zip of Red Bull, a sacrificial goth girl. <laughs> no, poor girl. <laughs> They have they have to be not alive. Uh, and then somebody else put I gotta uh, hold on. Oh, car keys. That car keys is a good one for you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Good, good suggestion, Michael. Okay. Uh we're on number nine. We're we're getting there. Um Great. so and the, it's always like tough to like, oh, which one should be the last question? But mm -hmm. um yeah, we'll do that. Okay, so should a secondary social studies teacher, keyword secondary social studies, mm -hmm. so like, you know, six through 12, um, share their own political views and biases with their students? Mm. Um, no, with an asterisk. And I guess I just mean like, I think that like, no, that shouldn't be a part of their goal as a teacher. Like that shouldn't, if that's factoring into anyone wanting to be a social studies teacher, then it's not the right profession for you. Um, but I do believe that at some point there are times when you build a community in your classroom and you build the relationships with the kids where they understand that you're a human being, right? So like there are times, you know, I'm, I work at a really small school. My classes are really small and I loop. So a lot of times I'll be, I'll have taught the same kids for two years and so it's like, by the time they have me for US history, they really know me and they know that I'm a person and they can distinguish. So there are definitely times when, you know, if we're talking about some political thing from recent American history and they go like, Emily, what's your, what's your take on this? Like, how do you understand this? I don't shy away from telling them like, at least my understanding of it. Like, well, here's kind of my take on what seems to be the issue, what seems to be the discussion. I try to still steer clear of like, oh, this person's right and this person's wrong, unless we're talking about factual, if we're talking about factual stuff, then fine. But so I say no, I say like, you shouldn't be sharing your political views and you shouldn't be letting that kind of really cloud how you teach. But also we need to understand that it still is. I think this idea that history can be unbiased 
is just false. I'm like just tired of us thinking that there is such a thing as unbiased history because even me deciding what we do a whole lesson on versus what we just read in the book and move on. Like that's biased, mm. you know, like I'm right. going to decide we're going to spend a whole day on Eleanor Roosevelt instead of this other thing. Well, that's biased. Right. So I do think that like being honest about the fact, and I try to be really open with my students about the fact that like, I'm just a person too. And I make mistakes and I have my own feelings and emotions that come into this. And when I do get into those, I try to really distinguish. I say, this is me, Emily, just a person. This is my understanding of this thing, but officially, academically, here are kind of the different sides of this argument and, and you decide. So officially, no, but then within nuance, like once you get to know your kids, once they get to know you, once you know the parents and you build that community, it's like if they're looking to you as a trusted source to try to understand what's going on in the world right now, then I'm so grateful. Like I, I have kids that will walk in. When, when when there was one of the impeachments, like it was announced that Trump was being impeached and they were like, what's happening? I don't understand. And I think that right now, a lot of teachers are scared that they'll get in trouble for just explaining it. And it's like, I think that's our job is to be like, okay, I, I like on my whiteboard, I was like, here's the timeline, here's the charges, here's exactly how this process is gonna work. I'm not telling them what I think about it, how I think it should turn out. But I think that by by saying we should have like a super unbiased history class, we're scared to talk about anything that <laughs> seems in any way controversial, which means we're just kind of telling the old the old story over and over again, you know? Oh, yeah. I, I've actually kind of changed my mind on this question over What's the that? years. When I started teaching, I was like, they, they will never know my political beliefs yeah. and political party especially. And it did always help that I was never really... Uh, I was always independent anyway, <laughs> like, uh, and so, I mean, I taught government specifically for many years. And so it was really difficult in that class. Um, but then over the years, I kind of started to change my mind on, it's like, you know, yeah, like you said, they're going to, I mean, just me deciding to spend extra time on a certain subject yeah. is my bias. And because we're ignoring something else, it's a, it really is a zero sum game. Like you, only have so much time to teach the curriculum. And if I focus more on this and leave that out and then, yeah, how you teach it. And it's just hard to be completely objective and neutral. And so um, I did, I did like when I was still in the classroom, I never told them, but um, once I got out of the classroom and I realized, you know, I have a wider audience too. They need to know where I stand. And so finally I just did a stream where I just took a bunch of political tests. Yeah. Um, and I still like confuse the heck out of people there. <laughs> they want to put me in a neat box. And I love that. Cause I'm like, no, um, I kind of, yeah. and then my students actually would try to predict, especially in government. Uh, when I taught government, they would like, it, it would be hilarious. Cause some of them would just swear up and down that I was um, a Republican mm -hmm. and they're like, yeah, you're, and then others would say I was no. a Democrat. Yeah. Like yeah. it was, and I was like, that, that made me so happy. Yeah, because I, I got I took so much pride because I was always just playing devil's advocate. Like I did. Right. The main thing is like I didn't want any student to like be too comfortable with their beliefs mm -hmm. um, with no matter what it was. Like even if it was a belief that like, um, you know, you like marshmallows. Well, why do you like marshmallows? Like, and then just <laughs> asking, yeah. like one of the best things a teacher could do is just keep asking them questions like kind of like a lawyer interrogating a witness yeah. in, in the courtroom. Yeah.
One other thing I'll say too, is that I, I do think it's getting harder. I think in our current political climate, it's getting harder to just be that like, no one will know how I voted because the two sides are so extreme right now that it like, it just feels like it's really hard. And, and I just say like, and people will say like, oh, like a woke, whatever teacher, but like I have a lot of students who are transgender, for example. I yeah. get a lot. We teach at a, a private school that specifically kids come there because they feel less safe in a bigger public school and they come to our school. So I'm not going to be like unbiased about a debate about trans people being people that should have rights because I'm like, that's caring for my students, right? What like identity. My, yeah, they need to know that they're safe in my classroom. So I'm not going to be like devil's advocate, you know, and and I know some to some people that's too political and that's too much. But my job, first and foremost, is to like is to teach the kids that are in my room and make sure that they feel safe there. And so it's it's interesting because it's getting harder now. So many things that used to be more personal things are getting highly politicized. Yeah. So it's harder. It's just harder as a teacher to be like, well, if I'm serving my kids and making sure they know that they're like safe here and comfortable here. That feels like a political statement, even though like, I, I don't personally think it is. But anyway. Yeah. I mean, I, I think of it, I mean, it's, it's, that's the thing you, you want your kids to be happy. And if there are people that are bullying them, because that's what we, we kind of, every teacher I've ever known, like we just kind of like go on red alert when we sense that a kid is being bullied like, and, and so we will like be the first to like step in and pr try to protect them as best we can. And, and, and unfortunately, a lot of them are being bullied for that very thing. Mm -hmm. um, and it's their parents are teaching them. It's sad because a lot of the parents are teaching their kids to bully. Um, mm -hmm. It's just like, just let them be themselves. You know, they're not hurting you. You know, you can live your life freely. They're not have nothing to do with yeah. your life. And it just blows my mind. That it's just we'll get through this someday. Yeah. yeah. I, it's kind of probably similar to like the, uh, you know, 1950s teaching mm -hmm. in Texas. Uh, you know, like you're, yeah. you're just trying to teach your African-American students like, Hey, um, I want you to be happy. And I just, you shouldn't feel ashamed for being yourself. And right. And <laughs> I don't want you to get, and it, yeah. <laughs> kind, like kindness and empathy and acknowledging yeah. someone's humanity I don't think is a political statement, but I, but I know that it is sometimes. And so I always make that caveat that like, if, if you're being, I just can't imagine what it would feel like to have my class, like debating my existence as like a thought experiment. It would feel so horrible. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, so yeah but like, yeah, they don't, I, I'm not telling them my views on Biden as president versus Kamala Harris as vice president versus whatever. Like that's not, that's not really what I'm talking about. Um, that stuff, I'm just like, Hey, here's what people are saying. You hear the facts. We know you decide. Right. Yeah. You. Yeah. Everybody's a human. Of course, when we walk by somebody who is sitting on the sidewalk or doesn't have a home and they're just sitting there begging for change, you're just like, <laughs> don't get me started about people that are going through homelessness. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, is it, right. it's me. I have, how many more do you have? I have two more. Then it is you. Yes. Go okay. Ahead. <laughs> All right. I'm going to go totally off the rails to talk about something different. Um, I didn't even, all I wrote was ghosts. <laughs> do okay. you believe in ghosts? Have like, have you ever had an experience? What, what do you think of people that have these like ghost stories? Well, I used to really be into ghosts when I was younger. Oh. Um, 
and my wife, Mrs. Beat, did as well. And uh, in fact, we, you know, we we visited places. <laughs> I wouldn't call us goat. We we weren't ghost hunters, but we, you know, we would stay like at this old. Did hotel. you watch Ghost Hunters? Because I did. We used to I watch just, that. I loved that show. Yeah, and I also appreciated how they were trying to use the scientific method to figure it out. Now, all the evidence that they, I, in fact, me watching that show over the years kind of made me kind of get out of it because I was like, well, they're never really finding anything. <laughs> the evidence, yeah. They never. It's like, oh, yeah. we just missed it. Yeah. So I, I kind of, yeah, not anymore. I don't really, I mean, ghosts could be real. I'm just waiting on the evidence, you know, like I, it's not, it's one of those things where I don't like to say, I don't like to ever discount anything completely. Um we might find something. And same thing with like, uh, you know, aliens on yeah. the planet. You know, we might, if that happened, like if we had really good evidence, like so far it's just people talking about it or saying it. But if they like right there in front of us on live TV in front of everyone, I would yeah. be like, oh my gosh, you know. Which so. I mean, right. Congress just had a bunch of hearings where they were like, yeah, we've seen we've seen lots, and we're all so stressed and exhausted as a society that we were kind of like, eh. <laughs> it's a big deal. I mean, sure, yeah. like obviously, and they they kept saying, well, we you know that's classified, classified. Sure. But if it's classified, that means that as we history teachers know, someday there's it's something. not going to be. We're going to learn, yeah, and hopefully, and I'm there's something to classify, out. you know. Which yeah. Anyway, so we're we're gonna find some exciting things out in the future. That's what I kept thinking. I'm like, we may not know today, but we're gonna find some cool stuff out in the future. That's one thing that I hope. I hope I live long enough to find to figure some of this stuff out. Like, not in a I'm hoping for an alien invasion kind of way. I'm hoping for like a peaceful exchange of ideas. But I I just I want to know because I yeah, it's like the more you learn about the universe, the more you're like, oh my gosh, there's so much out there that we don't know. And that's I mean, ghosts. I I I don't believe in ghosts. But I want to, and it's really yes. fun. And I also, I believe people who have ghost stories. Like I believe yes. them to 100%, even though I'm like, there's no way, but I believe that that happened. So I love it anyway. Well, yeah, because we can't really, we're not in other people's minds or, yeah. you know, like, so I believe that people have these experiences. Same thing with re religious experiences. It's like, I'm not going to say you didn't have that experience. No idea. Um, it's a personal thing. And, but at the same time, you know, there are other people we say, oh, that's schizophrenia. So mm -hmm. it's always like there's a fine line. Like, yeah. <laughs> but it's like there's so much still we don't know about the brain. I think about too, yeah. like when you think about the explorers who are out on the ocean and like the 1400s, they're mostly drinking beer and alcohol because it keeps better than water. They're a little drunk. They're on the ocean for weeks and weeks. And you see like a giant squid come, its tentacles come out of the water. I'm like, that's a beat, like that's a mythical beast. Or you see, what was it that Columbus thought was mermaids? Was it like a manatee? Uh, I think yeah. they saw a manatee yeah. and they were like, we saw a mermaid. So it's like, that's so silly now, but it makes perfect sense, right? They just like didn't understand what they were seeing at the time anyway. Yeah, same thing with unicorns, like the the uh, narwhal horns. Like they're like, oh yeah, that, of course that's a unicorn. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then the thing is like, the universe is so crazy. The under the um, deep seas are so crazy. It's like I, I, a lot of us want to make up things to kind of, you know, create stories. But at the mm -hmm. same time, if you just kind of look at what we know, I like they, um, for example, lately, I've really been into what the, the James Webb uh, telescope has found. Like, like I've never when they, yeah, they released the, um, that first picture where 
Um, like, yeah, see that little spot there? That's like almost to the Big Bang where the Big Bang happened. And I'm just, I remember like I stole, I stared at, at it for like 30 minutes. I was like, like, uh, and then I was watching this documentary. Um, we came out, I think it's on Netflix, just came out. And the guy who was like led the team for the James Webb telescope. Um, have you seen it? No. You, oh, I highly recommend it. Uh, it's on Netflix. But he's just like, all of our history is in that picture. And yeah. I was just like, oh my gosh. He's I know, right. I can't. All of our history is there in that picture. And um, it just really trips you out because you're just like, we, we want to kind of create these stories, but the stories that already are real are amazing enough. You know? Pretty incredible. So. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I think this last question is related, kind of. Cool. Um, artificial intelligence is something. It seems like every time I do one of these, I'm bringing up artificial intelligence now. And I saw you did a TikTok about this. At, uh, this I'm summer. giving a presentation to my teachers, my fellow teachers next week and our back to school week about AI in the classroom. Anyway. Awesome. Okay. So yeah, just keep it simple. Is AI a blessing or a curse for learning specifically history? For learning history. Yeah. It's both. It's both. <laughs> but I don't know. I, I think, well, one, I think like for any, if any, if there's like teachers out there that are like, I'm not doing that AI fad. Like, yes, you are. You're going to. It's going to be, it's coming. It's unavoidable. I'm not saying, you know, you have to right away, but it's coming. Mm -hmm. um, I think that if we harness it in the right way, I think if we teach it in the right way, it could make things so much better. I think like but I think it requires us to totally like, are you familiar with Marie Kondo? She's the like yeah. Japanese woman who is like an expert on cleaning. Yep. I reference her all the time because her whole philosophy is like, if you're cleaning out your closet, don't go in and pick out the things you want to get rid of. You need to take everything out of your closet and then pick the things you want to keep. Yeah. And it, like psychologically is like, you only then pick things that like spark joy and you really love. I, that's what we're gonna have to do with education because of AI and all the other changes is we're gonna have to like go back to the drawing board and be like, what what skills do students need in this new real world? Because like, will students need to be able to write a five paragraph essay in 10 years? I don't know, maybe not if we have an AI tool that can do it. And so the thing that I've heard, the philosophy I'm taking with AI is that we, I want it to be my assistant and not my brain. But like if I can harness AI to be my assistant to like do a task that I know I can do, it's easy to do, but it would have taken me a long time. And same with students. Right. So like if I'm if I want to know if a kid really understands medieval England, then I want them to actually write in their own words about medieval England. But if instead I'm like, you've learned about medieval England, you've learned about medieval the Islamic world. Now I want you to like determine which one you would have rather lived in and why if they then want to go use AI to be like brainstorm a list for me of like the pros and cons of these different places so that they can then have this like thought process of like well, where would I have wanted to live like that to me seems really interesting and seems like we could actually like have more interesting conversations so I I, I mean it's coming I'm very much accepting that it's going to be here I think it's going to do away with homework I hope it does away with homework be totally honest i hope <laughs> i hope that i've just been i've been anti-homework for a long time like i teach ap history classes so at the minimum it's like you got to maybe read and take notes but even that like if it makes teachers be a little more thoughtful about what they're asking kids to do on the, in their free time 
and maybe they're going to ask them to do less in their free time, I hope, then I think that's kind of a blessing, even if it's just to avoid them being able to cheat with AI, you know? Yeah, because I mean, um, the other thing is we don't have to specialize in, in um, or we don't have to be all generalists. Like history teachers are, I, I just learned this term actually in another one of these podcast episodes, uh, Professor Dave, uh, we're apparently every history teacher is a generalist because, uh, you know, the, the quickest way to learn anything is learning history. We know a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of this. And so we get a yeah. sample of everything. And so that's why like folks like you, um, no offense to non-history teachers, but you're really interesting to talk to, you know, a little bit about everything. Um, but the fact of the matter is, that, yeah, like the vast majority of human beings, um, A, are not like that and B, mm -hmm. shouldn't be like that. Yeah. Like, why would they? <laughs> why do you need to know all the Chinese dynasties in order? Like, you'll be fine. I'll, yeah, yeah. I'll sing you the song. It's okay. Um, you know? And so, yeah, like, I guess my point of all that was the, um, it means that I think we just need to foster um, passions a little bit better and earlier. Because mm -hmm. there's so many um, people that are in their 20s and 30s, even older, that still have not found their passion. Like, uh, people I know in my life that they're like, they never really found it. Like yeah. it wasn't fostered. And I think as, as young as like, you know, fifth grade, cause you've got, by the time you're in fifth grade, you've already, you know, you're decent at reading and writing you've sampled a lot of stuff. Yeah. And then it's time for start. You starting to critical critically think, but once you're critically thinking, it doesn't matter necessarily what you specialize in as long as it's, um, you're practicing those critical thinking skills because yeah. we all specialize in something, you know, it's not like a, once you get to a certain point in life, you know, you're working 40 hours a week or more doing the same thing over and over. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like, why not specialize um, at a younger age and AI should be able to get us to that point. Yeah. If we treat it right, if we, if we treat it thoughtfully, which is a big if, right. Is like, yeah, I agree. I think, because I think there have been some things that, I, that some teachers, myself included, have been saying for a while, but we haven't been able to really justify it, that now AI maybe can justify, where I'm like, why do students need to memorize this weird formula for a thesis statement? Like, why yeah. do they need to do that? Like, and there's like, oh, well, because blah, blah. And I, I just, I do hope that a lot of that, like, because I said so, because this is the way we've done it. I think through the pandemic and then through AI, I think we're seeing this huge shift in education where people are going, well, actually, yeah, maybe we don't need to do it that way anymore. And I think that's good. I think that's a blessing, but it does freak me out. It does freak me out thinking about how much control teachers are going to have to give up, you know? Yeah. Well, the other thing too is like, you know, uh, as history teachers, we like to tell these stories and we also like to introduce kids to things they never thought about before. Like, um, you know, like when I try to indoctrinate kids about Karl Marx, like, let me tell you about Karl Marx, kids, and postmodernism. <laughs> when I try to turn them all into communists. Yeah, yeah. Like we do. No, we do not do that. But uh, like <laughs> the um, social studies is still important. So I don't want to like, there's a caveat there because like, okay, they can start specializing in what they're truly passionate about younger. But at the same time, they live in a society. And so I think that's why our, like, there's still a need for, I don't know how you do it exactly, but maybe it's just like, yes, back to the studying abroad thing. It's like, you have to study in another country for, for so long. So you understand that, you know, you're not just in your little bubble and 
I hope, I hope that we go back more to like a classical education in a weird way, right? Of like where it's, but it's looser. It's like you do some philosophy, you do the math, like you get all the basics, you do literature, you do whatever. Mm -hmm. But it's like, I do hope that between the pandemic and online learning and AI, which right now are like oppressive for students, but I think as we figure it out, mm -hmm. I do hope, yeah, it's going to allow students to be like, cool, I've gotten the basics. Now I'm going to have a little more freedom of choice in like what I want to explore more. Cause yeah, if you tell kids to specialize in fifth grade, they might not even know a thing that they're interested in yet. But I agree with you. I think that hopefully it will lessen the required things. Like every yeah. student has to know and has to do these things. We'll still have some of those. And I hope it will build in more room for like, yeah, following what are you really interested in? You like, I, if I have students who want to become doctors, I'm like, I go read articles about the history of medicine. Like, oh, let's talk about medieval medicine then and stuff. Like, I, and I hope that it will free us up to do more of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm ending on a positive note. My question is if you need to be in a good, if you need to smile or laugh or need to be in a good mood, what is like a go-to YouTube clip, song, video, like something that you know? Oh, I can like, like my husband has a few that he knows if he just plays it, I'll be like, oh, and then I'm like in a good mood again. I'm curious if you have any of those. Well, cat videos for sure. Yeah. Right. Cat or dog videos you can't go wrong with. Uh, I mean, but that's kind of like a, that's a boring answer. So like, I, I, I think it, I'm, I can always rely on adult swim stuff. Like mm -hmm. I, if, uh, surrealism comedy specifically i'm i i like the eric andre show a lot i watch that whenever mm -hmm. i just like i just need to laugh right now yeah because uh, like i you know you get caught up in your uh the serious political stuff you tr turn off uh the news and uh <laughs> do you ever watch uh, eric andre at all or something it's so yes weird. Mm -hmm. it's yeah it's not for everyone <laughs> but it's just like weird i love weird stuff where i'm like i'm so glad your brain thought of that my brain would have never thought of that you know yeah usually they're you know they did mushrooms or uh, an edible or something but yeah yeah yeah, they... <laughs> yeah and uh like before that i used to watch you know when i say adult swim like all those shows are so great i think that's yeah they all did shrooms when they made all that stuff um, <laughs> like uh, tim and eric and dr steve brule and uh yeah. Yeah, there's a whole, it's called, I mean, actually, there's one of my favorite um, comedies of all time is not really surrealism, but it's, it's a show called Nathan for You. Have you ever uh -huh. seen it? Okay, yeah. Nate, yeah. Yeah. Right. And it's, I mean, it's really, and then he has a new show too on, I think it's uh, HBO Max, but uh, it's just so different mm -hmm. and, and it's subtle too. Like I like subtle humor that a lot of times you kind of miss it if you don't really, if you're not really paying attention. So mm -hmm. What's your, uh, that's a great, what's your go-to for a laugh? Mine is a totally different, very girly, girly direction. Um, there's a, my, my husband knows there's a tap dancing number from singing in the rain every time, every time okay. it's, it's where it's the tap dancing where they're, I don't know if you've seen the movie, it's my favorite movie, but it's called like Moses supposes. And he's like in a language class and it's Gene Kelly and the other guy anyway. And they just do this like crazy tap dance number. And like, it is like magic for my brain. I can be in the worst mood and I'll put it on. And by the end, I'm like, what a world. 
Well, then I say we just watch it right now, then. How about that? Um, <laughs> we, should, we should all just watch it and see how happy we get. Here we go. There it is. Oh, we watched the whole thing. <laughs> you can fast forward to when they start tap dancing. It's like they're coordinated. Oh. Like, you got to, oh, my gosh. I've never seen it's, this before. It's beautiful. I love tap dancing. If I could snap my fingers and have one skill, it would be tap dancing. Anyway, they just don't mix stuff like this anymore. I tell they you, don't. That's how I feel about. Um, I, there's been a few movies coming out recently, but it just makes me so happy, and I'm so glad that they know how to do that. Anyway, I used to hate musicals, but now I can actually. You know, like my <laughs> whole family watches them, so I'm kind of like, okay, I can stand this now. Like I'm. Yeah, um, they're well, not for everybody. I don't judge anyone who doesn't like musicals. <laughs> I just love it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well. Um, hopefully that left you in a good mood to end off tonight. With, uh, <laughs> um, that's it, right? We did, we got, we made it through all the, yeah, that, that was my right. last question. Awesome. Um, well, thanks for doing this. Yeah. Thanks for having <laughs> me. This was really yeah. fun. Uh, everyone, you should check out anti-social studies. Um, it's not really against social studies. I'm very pro social studies. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like. Where's the best place to find you, uh, would you say? TikTok. Um, I mean, I'm I'm on YouTube. Um, most of my YouTube stuff is geared towards AP history students. So if you're going to be in one of those classes. But really where I make most of my like diverse content is going to be on TikTok and Instagram. So you just go search anti-social studies for either of those. And I have a podcast too. So if you want to just learn like basic overview of some history stuff, um, then you can anywhere you listen to podcasts, you just search anti-social studies. Which I I'm a guest on here, and you are going to be a guest on season four, teaching me about Henry George. So I'm very excited. Don't mean to break. Oh yeah, and some of my viewers they all they know they all know about Henry George. Um, I did it, and then you came and taught me all about it. Yeah. Um, and uh, well, and then a lot of you may remember um, Emily. Uh, last year I made a video when, where we looked at a bunch of old textbooks, and mm -hmm. so she she was one of the uh, the guests in that video. So if you want to go back and watch. Uh, that video, um, yeah, that was, I think, can't remember what, which we talked, we talked about pretty much, yeah, the uh, uh, Philippine-American War, the yes. Vietnam War a little bit, yeah, that was a good video, yeah, so yeah. put a link in the description. Oh, somebody, Marcus, you're a fan also of Eric Andre and Nathan. Uh, I like the plural of genius. Gino. Gen oh, Gino. Genii. Oh, is it? Oh, wow. Okay, I'm going to start using that. I'll be pretentious. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> Um, thank you all for the super chats and the great uh, comp. Oh, yeah. Henry, Henry, Henry you got to see the Henry George, you say? Ears <laughs> uh, anyway, yes, uh, you all have a great night. And uh, thanks for listening and watching. And until next time, uh, this has been, I guess, an episode of 10 Questions with Mr. Beat. And then thanks. I'm trying to end it with uh, good night and good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Do you get that right?